and welcome to the Survivor Historians, where we start in modern-day Shanghai and we go back in time. Alrighty, thank you for the Back to the Future music there, Tim. Uh, as always, once again, I'm Mario Lanza, and uh, we are here to... Oh, I screwed up my intro, didn't I? All right, let's do an intro. How about that? Hi, I'm Mario Lanza, and I don't know how to do intros. Bitch. I'm Jay Fisher, and I've just been given a, a, a do seven uh, hand here in this podcast. Uh, I'm Mike Bloom, and I'm just here to say good morning, good morning. I'm here to say good morning. Uh, and I'm Paul Oselson. I'm back here on the on the small bike just trying to keep up with you guys, so I'll do my best. Yes, and welcome. We are here for part two of our uh, extravaganza, where we talk about Survivor China. Um, we are going to go, I believe, through episodes 6 through 11, if all works out right. And uh, these are some fantastic episodes. I don't know if you guys had as much fun watching them as I did, but I had a blast watching them uh, last night and this morning. I don't know. I, could, I, I, I don't know if I could speak for everybody here. I enjoyed them immensely. This season is so good, and I think we talked about it quite at length in part one about how good this season is, um, and, and especially this stretch is good, but it's a really odd stretch as well. I think it's, it's odd as far as the characteristic of some of these contestants go, but at the same time, it's very raw, and it's something that you see glimpses of sort of how Survivor is played and even how modern Survivor is played, but not necessarily shown on TV. And we'll get into that as we go along, but it, it, was, a, it was a nice, refreshing, good look, but also an odd stretch as well. Well, I think we talked about the first five episodes last time, and we ended at an almost a cliffhanger in that we ended with Jean Hu throwing the challenge to get rid of Aaron and arguably one of the most unfair twists Survivor has seen. Uh, but here we're really going to commit to not only the falling action of that, but also the rise and fall of Jamie Dugan here. Uh, but, I mean, James is going to become a huge component of these next five episodes. John Robert is going to come back to prominence. I know we were very Dave Cruiser heavy in the first four episodes, uh, you know, well, how can you not? remarkably so. And he, he might, he might even pop out here when we talk about the recap episode, but I mean, we barely talked about someone like Denise until the tail end of our podcast. And Denise is someone that's going to become a really big part of these next few episodes. Eric is another one as well. So I feel like we can almost put this season into its own form of epochs, much like Chinese dynasties, if you will, the, the cruiser dynasty is over, and now we're in a, a remarkably different dynasty now. Jesus, Mike, you want to just mention everyone else? There's also Frosty and Courtney and Todd and Zombie. And uh, there's no Gene, so uh, I love the show. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Gene was one of those kids doing Kung Fu at the Jalen Tempo, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's called winning at life. Yeah, she was game of she's life. winning at life. She's at a Shaolin Temple. <laughs> All right, so where did we leave off in part one? I believe we uh, left off with the uh, yeah, the unfair twist, and then Aaron got nailed, and James is in a lot of danger. And uh, so let's uh, let's jump right into it here. So basically, James is stuck over on John Hu. It's three people against him. And then uh, basically we go to the other side, Fei Long, and Todd is still looking for this uh, this idol. He knows there's an idol. He knows approximately where he is, but he can't figure it out yet. And I think that's – is that where we are as we jump into episode six here? Yes. All right, All right. thank you. Jay, my, my right-hand man. <laughs> and Paul also. All right, so anyway, we go to episode six. Uh, let's, what do we got here? Uh, we open the episode with J- John Robert snoring in the shelter, which is an excellent way to start off a podcast. Well, first we have James is really, as you said, up a creek without a paddle here. And 
he wakes everybody up or he there's a lot of scenes throughout this season of James being awake while everyone else wakes up, which is a nice subtle hint from the editor's perspective into how much of a workhorse James is. He's probably the biggest workhorse we've seen on this show since Bobby John. So James is plan right now. Basically, the only thing he can really do outside of this whole idol scheme that will come into play is. All right, I just got to keep them fed and watered so that they win the challenge and so that I stay in the game. But then PG gives a confessional immediately afterwards saying, like, hell no, we're not going to keep him around. And so it's very clear, at least in this moment, John, who is playing to throw the next challenge and send James home. Yep. And uh, the big thing we get on the other side, Fei Long, is uh, Todd tells us in a confessional we have to win the reward challenge today because we want to pull over James or Aaron, whoever's left, like, they're under no you know, impression that, that James or Aaron are safe over there. So whoever's left, we want to pull them over today, give them the, the last idle clue, and then maybe we can all figure it out together. So a lot of stuff is going to happen very fast in this episode. This is also the scene where Todd informs Amanda about his plans for the hidden immunity idol as well and employs, uh, employs her help. Yeah, cause Excellent, I, yeah. Because let's remember Todd got the clues from Leslie. He got them from Dave when Dave got kidnapped. So he pretty much is the only one who knows about them at all, but he slowly realizes that, you know, no man is an island here. He can't really figure out where the idols are specifically since they are so vague and they're so out of place in terms of the whole construct of the camp. So first he recruits Amanda and then we'll find out later once he actually finds the idol and this whole James thing comes about, he's going to slowly tell one by one each person in his alliance except for Jean Robert. Yes, Jean Robert will figure it out on his own later in a great scene. All right, so let's go to the reward challenge, episode six. Uh, this is the one where they have to run through his old Chinese village and get these puzzle boards. And it's one that I thought was particularly interesting because it reminds me of a very similar challenge back in Borneo, mm-hmm. the one where they had to uh, grab the, the can opener and stuff out of that, which is, I just love little challenges like that that are different, from, different than the norm. This was, it it kind of st- stood out to me when I was watching it tonight. And you can see how quickly they run. They're motivated by um, Western toilets. That really gets him moving. Yes, and plenty of Charmin. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine if uh, Bob Dog would have been here, what he would have done to win that challenge? Bob Dog would have dropped a deuce in one of those little bathtubs. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say in the village, like in the, in the rooms <laughs> during the challenge. PG's trying to talk to him like, we're on your side. Bobby's just crapping in the corner. <laughs> Although I should point out that not a, the winner of this challenge gets to go to this Chinese tea house. And it is indeed the Charmin Tea House. So Charmin sponsors this one. So good product placement for the toilet paper. Are you saying that was it named Charmin before Survivor got there? Maybe it was already called Charmin. Yeah, I was going to say it was just probably really good luck and coincidence that Charmin sponsored the challenge and they went to the Charmin Tea House. Like they probably looked at it and were like, whoa, what are the odds? Yes, like William Carruthers Charmin, the founder, bought a square of Chinese land back in the 1800s. And now it's finally come to fruition in the year 2007. You know, Charmin was the most squeezable dynasty. <laughs> yes, in the Chinese commercials featured the panda bears, right? Scrubbing toilet paper on their butts. <laughs> yes. All it's right. In- it's interesting you bring up the, uh, the original Borne- Borneo Challenge because you're right. It, it's sort of the same thing where they're going through. It, it just looks like they're going through abandoned uh, village, which they're not really. But, you know, it, it is old structures and they get to go through there. But you can see that the... Uh, the design of this one's a little bit better in the sense that they have to go in there and get those little puzzle things where they have to collect them all and then solve a puzzle at the end so that they can't, like, get a duplicate thing like Richard did and then the challenge is just fucking over. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was neat. I liked the puzzle board. It was a uh, vertical one instead of a horizontal one, which was kind of interesting. And again, it was funny because John Hu never did figure that out at any point, I don't think. Yeah, and they have, but, to, they have to figure out a famous Confucian phrase. So granted, this is not the point in Survivor where we're at the figure out what Jeff Probst idioms solve this <laughs> challenge. Now they're actually utilizing the culture here. Yes. Although there's one interesting thing about this challenge is that the players get to meet up in the rooms, like one from each tribe. And there's a, a scene where PG's there with Sharia and she said, hey, you know, we threw that challenge for you. And Sharia just basically ignores her. But what's interesting about that scene, just not uh, not from a playing point of view, but from more of a production point of view, is if you listen to it, you can hear Jeff doing his inane narration in the background. Like, <laughs> Frosty, running over. Like, you can just kind of hear him in the background. So it's kind of funny you actually hear Jeff's narration when it's not the focal point of a scene. It's just in the background. It's kind of funny. Yeah, really great move for Sharia there, just to ignore PG. She could have at least said an mm-hmm back. Because <laughs> she's, she's not saying nothing until she has to, right? Yeah, which is like, do you think, did, she, like, did they talk about this in the episode? And I, I just am totally misremembering at this point. Did Sharia talk about this sort of interaction, or did, did she get no. it? Like, no, it, 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 was, no. it was completely from Jean Hu's perspective. PG's going to yeah. go back we to never them get... say, like, oh... Sharia didn't acknowledge me. Frosty's not looking at us the entire time during the challenge. So now we're because afraid. when they yeah the editors try to put in this like little clip when they like line up that they kind of they make it look like PG is like smiling over at them and yeah. it kind of shows Frosty ignoring. I don't I mean it's kind of pieced together to make it show, like to make it seem yeah. like you know because like you get, PG says to Sharia and there she says something like Hey man we're we're looking out for you or Hey we're taking care of you and it's it's like okay. If you're totally in there and thinking what she's thinking, you could see what she's saying. But by the same token, it, it, I don't know if PG spelt that one out correctly. Like, you know, just they're out there running and going and then PG's just like, we're looking out for you. It's like, thanks. OK. Oh, to be fair, though, I feel like if Bubba from Survivor Vanuatu is in this challenge, God only knows what he would do to try to communicate this to Sharia. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, yeah, Sharia. PG- <laughs> we done through PG- that challenge. <laughs> PG should have just shouted out, think about the merch. <laughs> that would have communicated everything she needed to know. Mm-hmm. All right. So, yeah. So, you know, PG's trying to throw signals over there. She's getting a frosty reception, one might say. Oh, boy. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> yikes. And then Fei Long wins the challenge just like they hoped. And, oh, they, get, they, they win the trip to the Charmin uh, Bob Dog Tea House. And they get to kidnap someone, and they're going to kidnap James. James is going to, I believe, he comes with them to the Charmin Tea House, correct? And guess, who's the, guess who's the first yes, to hug him? We... Who's the first to hug him, Mike? Denise. Excellent. And then Trying Denise get gets a look at his butt a little later, too. I think we all did, actually. All right, so we go to the Charmin Tea House, and Todd's there, and James, and, and Todd has this big agenda. I have to pull James aside and give him the clue, and we'll work on this together. But first, they're all going to get their private baths. And this is the one where... Uh, where John Robert sits on one end in a private bath, and Courtney wants nothing to do with Jean Robert being unclothed near her. So she goes to the furthest private bath from him, and I believe Courtney and Amanda are in the same tub together. Yeah, Mario, define private here, because it, it seems just situ- they're all just situated in tubs that are about, what, like two feet apart from each other in a row of seven? <laughs> it's private in that the, your, your uh, bit and tackle are all underwater, so nobody can see them. That's about it. Although that doesn't really help the girls that much. Right. They're pretty close. Like, I feel like, you know, they couldn't even, like, take a state-mandated standardized test in the areas that they were at. It would be within violation. Like, they were really close. And at the same time, if, if, if you guys didn't get 
the notion that they have completely buried John Robert as far as a decent human being. We get more John Robert leching at the girls in this scene, which yeah. serves very little purpose. Like, I get, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's little character moments and blah, blah, blah. It's like, with John Robert, it's like, okay, we understand that he's a misogynist guy that, you know, is ogling girls. Like, this is just piled. At this point, it's literally just the dead horses there. We're literally just kicking it a couple more times. Hey, Amanda's, yeah. in, the, Amanda's in the other tub. <laughs> Ouch. So, yes, yeah, so those of you who don't remember the scene or haven't watched this in a long time, yeah, Jay is correct. There is a scene where Amanda and Courtney, for some reason, are sharing a tub, which, again, defies the private bath part. And Jean Robert very enthusiastically telling everyone, I want to be in that tub. So, yeah, so it's Jean Robert does not get a good edit. But we're, we're equal opportunity offenders here with, with the nudity, as is pointed out earlier. James does decide to take this moment to utilize the shower to wash off his bare ass. And, of course, Denise is the first one to comment on it. But the irony here is that Amanda says, you know, he has a nice butt and he might as well show it off. Coming from the person who is by far the most blurred person of the first 15 <laughs> seasons on Survivor. She's a big fan of showing off the butt. That's, that's what's mostly blurred on her. I don't know if you guys have noticed this in this batch of episodes, but... Nearly every challenge, Amanda's butt is blurred for at least some portion of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cheekage, right? I mean, that's, that's the whole thing, is that she's wearing those shorts that I think are just it's too much cheek showing, so they have to blur it out. Well, wait, you said that was mostly what was blurred. What else being blurred? Well, there was the... Uh, in the she had her shirt off in the, yeah, uh, the, in the episode two the challenge. Time. That was the, my mom is going to yeah. kill me, when they yeah. pulled a, uh, Sandra and ripped her top off. All right, let's go to Paul. Let's go to the Amanda expert here. What other parts of Amanda were blurred during the season? I think you covered it all. That's it. All right, just checking your scorecard there. How, yeah, about, how about her emotions? Oh. <laughs> A little blurred out still. Not John, fully, John, Robert, uh... John Robert wished the lines were blurred. <laughs> Jesus. All right, so moving on, yeah. So anyway, yeah, so James is with uh, Fei Long. And uh, this is where Todd finally pulls him aside. And basically the, the catalyst for the storyline of the next, basically the next five or six episodes is all going to happen right here where Todd pulls James aside and there's a nice scene where they're in their little silk bathrobes, James in the extra large and, the, and Todd in the child's small. And uh, yeah, so Todd has the fourth idol clue. He gives it to James and, and then they read it and Todd finally figures out where he says, ah, that's the, I know where the idol is now. It's the stupid bats above the freaking thing. And we talked before about, in the ending of the last podcast, about how there was a big spoiler that Amanda was winning this season. And I think the further along the season went, people were saying, okay, this makes sense. Todd is getting too much of a negative edit throughout the season. And I think now retroactively, we can kind of, we can kind of renege that decision a little bit. However, there are little tastes like this moment here where Todd says, there are some points in this game where I feel like I'm the only one playing. And we'll talk about over the next few episodes how Todd is going to become extremely paranoid and is not going to be cast in a good light at all. So, yes, even though Todd is arguably the most strategic person on this season, there are still a few moments in terms of his story that do not cast a good light on him. Yeah, yeah. I, would ag- I would agree with that. And I would also say that, yeah, to back that up, that there was this whole Amanda wins uh, rumor or spoiler, whatever you want to call it. While I'm watching the season, I'm kind of looking for that storyline, and it's really not there. I'm not sure why people thought Amanda was going to win this season. She doesn't actually get that much camera time ever. She gets more going forward, but also that's the diminishing returns to the fact that there's less people out there and she keeps being around. But yeah. I, I think you're right, Mario. It's it's tough because Todd is clearly getting, I feel, the the focal 
sort of story as far as a lot of things go that that isn't you know we we get character stories we you know we get buffoon character stories with like Courtney and 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 John Robert but you know the the growth stories really come down to sort of James and 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 even more so Denise uh but you know if you're talking about just someone who's has their head in the game and is sort of playing the gamesmanship part of it it's Todd and it's funny that people mention Amanda it's like she's there and she has moments but it's not very comprehensive uh at all, which is which is an interesting thing when you look back on it. But Mike, I can't agree with you more, and it's it's part of what makes this series of episodes that we're going to talk about today very weird. Is this is just the look into Todd because it's not super flattering, and you know when a lot of people talk about a winner's edit, and I say that in quotations because there's not necessarily such a thing, but Survivor does like to point out their winner and sort of point out sort of their good parts, but we see a lot of flaws with Todd in these couple of episodes. They are literally out and out flaws, and part of it is is here, just him, you know, just putting people down. Uh, see, I'm curious. I don't see a lot of flaws when I'm watching Todd. Look the at whole there. time. I'm, I'm Look looking, I know, I, yeah, I'm looking for them. I'm specifically trying to find that, and I'll, the, the whole thing is, I'm, as I'm watching, I'm like, yeah, Todd's getting a good edit. They're showing Todd being fun. Uh, Todd's doing all the stuff, and what, although... The other person that I'm surprised is getting a pretty decent edit, and I don't remember this at all, was Frosty. Frosty actually has a pretty decent little underdog edit going for a little bit. But don't you think that they like really highlight, like in the structure episodes, how like kind of the mean side of Todd? Not necessarily. I think they just necess- emphasize the cutthroat side of him. Oh uh, we'll, 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 we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. We're yeah. we're not we're not in super paranoid Todd mode yet. Instead, we're in kind of cocky Todd mode at this point, considering that. He really has all the information about the idols at this point, and he's the one that's really in control here in terms of that aspect of the game. So like you said, Mario, he figures out that it's the stupid bats above the stupid thing. Uh, it's just to this weird scene where I guess Amanda is doing a chore that involves <laughs> knocking shingles off the roof with a long stick. Um, yeah. and, that's, and that's apparently the perfect time to get the idol. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, Todd and Amanda are overlooking for the idol, and it's one of those things, did they have to do it when everyone else was right next to them? It's the, it's the oddest little scene. Like, what, what, was the, what was Amanda's explanation why she was doing that? I understand. I see her explanation. She says, this was my one thing for the day. But that's not how deals work, Lil. That's not how explanations work. Like, that's, oh, this is just what I'm supposed to do. That doesn't really explain why you're doing it. God, without Aaron, they've been reduced to giving daily tasks of poking shingles off a roof with a <laughs> stick. I don't know, Paul, do you have any insight on what Amanda was doing? Is that some Montana thing, just poking shingles well, off a roof? I just feel like, Mario, she can do no right in your eyes. The girl <laughs> just needs to knock off some shingles like she's back in Montana at the barn doing some work on the barn, and you're jumping down her throat about that. Like, what can she do right? I don't know how I would necessarily react. I mean, I'm going to give them somewhat of the benefit of the doubt, but on the other hand, I am going to dress them down in a way. It was, it's more along the fact that, like, okay, Todd knows where the idol is. He knows it's one of those uh, bat structure or bat uh, planks that are there on that sort of structure, and it's like it's it's got to be infuriating because you know where it is, and you you know you want to pull it down. And I think that the paranoia, the paranoia, not just with Todd but with anyone, it's kind of like if you know where the idol is, but it's sort of in a place where everybody is hanging out. You sort of have to wait for everyone to be gone, but it's like you don't want to wait. And so you sort of like her. It's just right there. What if some? What if someone pulls it down? What if someone accidentally pulls it down? What you're gonna do? Even though the, all the the couple of weeks we've been out there, no one has ever thought to pull those things down in any way. And you kind of had to pry them loose. It's not like they're just velcroed up there. You have to like, you know, pry them out of the thing. But it, but what if someone does? What? And so like they're they're sort of. 
I feel like this sort of mania sets in where it's like, I got, I got to do it. I got to get it. Just create a distraction. And then Amanda's trying to create a distraction by like, hey, well, I'll have an excuse to go out there and then I'll do things. But then that, that excuse attracts people like Frosty out there who's like, yeah, I'll just parkour up there and get the shingles for you or whatever is going on. It's like th- then they decide to try to pull it off with Frosty parkouring up there. Getting the shingles out, like it's it's a bunch of bad decisions all in a row that somehow pays off, but they do have to let Frosty in on it because they couldn't just freaking wait until people like left. People leave the camp, right? Like well, I, I feel like they do. But this is the problem though, is that let's talk about next episode when James finds the idol. I think he benefits from the fact that it is a small tribe. I mean, at this point it's four against seven. With four right. people, it's more likely that the other three are gonna go down to the water and talk and James can just sort of casually pry off the boards. Here with seven people around, I feel like there's some sort of guarantee that at least one other person is going to be just bumming around camp, helping out. Which just seemed like Frosty was just sort of a bystander until he happened to see that they were doing something and then decided, oh yeah, this is, uh, I can show off my ninja, my ninja skills here. Let me hop up and pry stuff off. And I think they unfortunately kind of got sidetracked because of that. So I think they sort of unfortunately uh, were harangued by the fact that they actually had a larger tribe than John Hu at this point. Wait a minute, I can't get past the fact that Jay says Amanda's creating a diversion or a distraction, yet she's doing it exactly in the same place where they're going to search. Well, it's, it's not creating a distraction, but it's, it's creating it was, an excuse to go over there, right? Like, an, an excuse for when, when, this, like, when the idol goes missing, if anyone notices it, then they think back to, oh, they were like knocking off all these things. It was Todd, the one who panicked and actually rips the thing down. Like, Amanda could have done that for a while and wait till Frosty kind of goes away. Then they, they sneakily grab that thing. It was Todd who panicked. Amanda kept her, her cool during that whole time. And it's hard to believe of Amanda being kind of even keeled and not like super, uh, <laughs> super emotional, but she did it. Right. Like, I think, I think you, you think that she's adding tension because she's basically trying to nudge Frosty. Like, really? You don't have to do that. This is yeah. my one thing. Let me do that. And it's, it's not panic in her thing because it's not like, I, I don't, you know, you know, it could cross their mind like, oh, maybe Frosty just accidentally rips off the... But I don't think that's necessarily what Amanda's thinking. You know, Todd's probably thinking that because he goes and pries the thing loose anyway because he's over there. But, like, Amanda's just trying to get Frosty out of there, right? Like, shoo, I, I, I'm doing this thing, you know? And, and she's she's trying to come up with an excuse to, like, bum around there. And I think that's... That, I don't even think about that. Um, like you were thinking, Paul, with the, oh, if it goes missing, they were like, oh, they're knocking shingles off. And then they were dumb and knocked the bats off. But... I know you guys. You know, I, I know you guys. Tough. I know you guys talk about uh, how Russell Hans might appear in old school Survivor seasons. Could you imagine Russell dealing with the idols this season? I mean, we talk about Todd not being subtle. Russell would like knock the structure off of its legs and then squirrel away with all the plaques into the middle of the jungle. Oh, he couldn't reach that thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of humbled that Paul provided an Amanda defense that actually made sense. I don't know what to do now. Yeah, how does that feel, bitch? You know, next time you open your mouth, I will blast you back and make you look quite silly. Okay. <laughs> That's a James quote, just in case we haven't got to that yet. So then, they right. have to, they, so then they have this awkward thing where, you know, they, Todd does pull down the hidden immunity idol, but they have to let Frosty know about it because, <laughs> because Mr. N- American Ninja Warrior is, was climbing the structure when Todd decided to, you know, uh, peel the idol off. It's a new alliance. The, the Frosty Alliance is now part of the Todd and Amanda Alliance. But it's also an alliance that's sown in threats. As, again, I, I know, Mara, you might not be saying I don't see the Todd negative edit here, but considering that in this scene, Todd goes right up to Frosty and says, 
if I can't trust you right now, I'm going to kill you. And then Amanda's kind of playing good copy, saying, like, no, it's okay. We're all working together now. We all have this secret. See, I just I see that as Todd being efficient and Amanda not being strong. <sighs> Someone mute Paul. Mute Paul quickly. <laughs> I, love, I do love to see them when, like, Frosty gets so excited jumping up and down. Todd's like, stop it right now. As like, and, like, his, <laughs> and his confessional when he treats Frosty like a dog. When he goes, Frosty! Frosty, no! Bad, Bad. Frosty! <laughs> I also sound like that teaching first grade a lot. I, I make similar sounds at my kids. You have a lot of kids named Frosty? Uh, not one of those yet, no. Yeah, I'm assuming a lot of people were conceiving children around the time of Survivor China and then named their children <laughs> Frosty because he was such right, an this, inspiration yeah. to them. Uh, that, that, that's like next year's group. Like There's Frosty K and Frosty you know, S. <laughs> it's, like Mad- it's like Madison, a new version of Madison. Or, or exactly. Colby. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Paul's got a lot of future strippers in his class. So is the next scene the, uh, the, the Todd James scene? Yes, Todd now has the idol, and uh, he says, okay, here it is. I'll give it to you. You can go back and protect yourself. And, oh, by the way, there's probably one at your camp, too. And, yeah, this is, this is one I had a lot of fun with on the Funny 115 because this is where James gets so happy that he hits Todd and almost knocks him out of the frame to the left. And this is, yeah, this is- Todd, Todd says, you almost killed me there, James, and that's when James provides the the title quote like that's love baby make you strong <laughs> yes but if you haven't seen that scene in a while it's a good one it's yeah literally todd is given the, the idol to james james is so happy he reaches out and whacks todd like you he would whack any one of his friends on the shoulder friendly and since todd weighs about 15 pounds todd goes flying i, I want i also want to stress how happy this made me and most viewers that watched this season because I, I think that people that are looking at this season on a rewatch and weren't watching it live were, were not grasping the fact is that most of the survivor watching population out there was in love with James this season, uh, as was I. Like, we all were just like, we were so like on the James train. And it's the fact that James is stuck over on, uh, on John Hu, right? So. And 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 now they got they threw the challenge to get rid of Aaron. So like James is literally dead man walking. And so like if you could if you could sit there and script it, you would say James would find an idol and would be safe. And in this scene, you know, Todd finds the idol, but then he hands it over to James. And it's like, you know, this scene's funny and it's funny when fifteen worthy and all that sort of stuff. But it's like, on the other hand, James now has an idol, and you're like, Oh my god, James is safe over there on John Hu. This is this is the best thing ever. Yeah, it's a lot of people. A lot is said about Survivor seasons over the years that you know boot order is is important to a season. How a, a storyline plays out, the order that the, that the characters go out is important to how the season is received. And and yeah, just like you said, not only was James immensely popular, but this just came right after the last episode where they threw a challenge and this it was this horribly unfair thing. And you know PG and Jamie just look look like horrible people. So it's just like the culmination of the storyline and the boot order, and all of a sudden the idol being given to the right player at the right time. Yeah, there's no way you could have scripted this any better. This is absolutely one of my favorite stretches of episodes right here because it just all dovetails exactly like you would script it. And you would think now on paper it's delicious because now we have an entire tribe in Jean Hu throwing the challenge for completely different reasons and that the other three want to throw it to get rid of James. James now wants to throw it to play the idol to get Jamie out. Though it seems like, as we talked about before, because Jean Hu was a little peeved that Sharia and Frosty didn't really give them any time of day. Now they're nervous about, oh, maybe the Jean Hus won't get back together after the merge. 
Um, th- I guess the question that I do have here is that obviously James is going to get the idol next episode. They'll talk over and over for the next few episodes about James, how James has two idols. Should Todd have told James how he got the idol in the first place? Or do you think he was really counting on the fact that James would get an idol and then once everybody merged, he'd just give that idol back to Todd? Well, again, the first thing is he has to make sure James uses the idol tonight because the assumption is they're going to throw the challenge, try to vote out James. So that idol's gone. So you want to tell James how to get it so James can grab the other one because it may just happen again. There's no guarantee they're going to merge right away. Or, yeah, it's, I don't know if it's the assumption James is going to give the idol back, but the assumption is he's bought goodwill with James. So, I mean, one way or another, he keeps James as one of his numbers down the road. I think, Mike, there is some credence to that. I think that what Mario has, has pointed out, I think, is the logical step in Todd's, Todd's head because Todd wants James to stay around. So Todd gives James the idol, basically saying, here, here's the idol. If you can get the other one at camp, great. If not, and you don't have time or whatever like that, and we, you go to tribal council, at least you played this one and you're safe, meaning that that idol is taken out of play. And then maybe James can grab that other idol. So then just the collective, like, okay, James has uh, the other idol with him, but you're in control of James and therefore sort of in control of an idol. And then Todd was thinking, and if somehow he doesn't have to play his idol and James somehow gets the other idol and there's two, of course he'll probably give one back to me because I just gave him an idol. Like, I, I think that that was, I don't think that the, Todd was necessarily thinking that James would give him a, an idol or maybe just the one idol if he had it or anything like that. But I think that it, Todd was basically like, yeah, if he doesn't have to play it and he gets two of them, then he'll give me one back because it was mine. I agree, but there's also no, I don't think Todd ever crossed his mind that James would ever make the merge with two idols. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying is, is he probably thought that out because I think that Todd thought everything out because Todd is like one of the more paranoid people uh, to ever play this game. So there's that, but you're right, Mario. I, I'm, I'm thinking that he, he's like the likelihood of that is not great, but if it's there, hey, bonus. Sure, why not? Yeah. And again, if there is another idol in the other camp, even if James has it, Todd, it helps Todd's game to know who has it. Right. Like, That's sometimes fair. just knowing who has it is as good as you having it. And, so and, as and long no, as James has it, no one else can. And knowing that it's as easy as just randomly pulling a plaque off of something in your camp. Like, for all we know, Eric could be using a long stick to poke off shingles and suddenly something falls off and now he has an idol. So I definitely agree with that point. I think he wants to, if someone has to have an idol, at least he knows who has that idol. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny going into this challenge, like you pointed out, last last time we had John Hu throwing the challenge to get out James, it was very straightforward. This time it's almost reversed that James wants to throw the challenge, but John Hu is like, yeah, I'm not sure uh, Frosty and Shirio are with us anymore, and all of a sudden they're not throwing the challenge. So everything's kind of flip-flopped on this one. And then on the other tribe, Todd is like, we have to win this one so they can throw the challenge and James can use the aisle and it'll be hilarious. So it's like there's lots of motiva- different motivations going into this next scene. So it's sort of win-win for Todd here, too, right? Because either if they lose the challenge, it seems pretty straightforward, we'll just get rid of the John Hoos. If John Who happens to lose, great, James will just idle one of the John Hoos out. So he can pretty much go into, for lack of a better term, autopilot at this point, knowing that a John Who is pretty much guaranteed to go home. Yeah. All right, so we get to the immunity challenge, and this is the famous gross food-eating challenge. This is one where they have to eat lots of... Uh, uh, Chinese delicacies, if the would be the right term, uh, many of them not particularly appetizing to our Western palates. Right, yeah. and 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 to speak to that, I remember at some point Jeff Probst saying that 
uh, throughout this whole taping of Survivor China. We, we talked about it in the first podcast how this was such a big deal for a Western show to be able to film an entire season within China, that there were representatives from, I don't know, what agency within China that were kind of, you know, watching everything going on to make sure everything was going to be portrayed in a positive way. And I think Jeff Probst said the only time there was question from them was during this challenge. The first time they, they hear about this challenge, it's, oh, these Americans are going to eat, like, Chinese food and they're going to, like, gag it up because it's so nasty. Well, the, so uh, I remember it, Jeff Probst saying this is the one time it was a little bit contentious. The balut was the big thing that I heard about because I think we've actually, when we were talking about recording this episode, I think there actually were a couple of listeners who talked to us about how, you know, growing up in Asian, comp- Asian countries – Balut isn't really something that's considered such a gross food. They they put they eat it with their meals all the time. And so I can imagine it would be a little disrespectful to have these Western people come in, eat something that you had with your cereal during breakfast, and just immediately throw it up. Yeah. By the way, Paul, I have to say something. You totally reminded me of an email we got the other day. Just This doesn't tie into this challenge, but this ties into exactly what you were saying. The uh, All the people on, 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 uh, on set to make sure that China was portrayed accurately or the way they wanted it to be shown in China. This is interesting. We had a reader wrote in. His name is Gareth Bate. And we had asked in part one, like, what was in it? What was in it for the Buddhist temple at the start of the season? Why would they let Survivor film there? And this guy Gareth pointed out nothing. He goes, that Buddhist temple scene at the start was probably just nothing but pure Chinese propaganda. He goes, look how tolerant of religion we are in the U.S. That was what that scene was meant to represent. He wrote, I've always thought that Survivor was allowed to film in China only under certain conditions. One was that they show Shanghai, and the other condition was that they make it look like China is religiously tolerant. That's just something I thought was funny. We got, I got an email about that just the other day, and I wanted to read that. Just an interesting piece of feedback. Yeah. I mean, Coincidence, that. or do I hack your email? <laughs> no, Garrett, Garrett's a good guy. No, I, that, that's, that, that checks out. I mean, you know, the it, it it's no secret that you know with with our first couple of forays into china as far as um television shows go and this was one of the first ones this was what 2007 this aired right mm-hmm. and this was almost uh not a precursor but sort of a, a run through even though this is cbs and this is survivor um let's let's not forget our timeline here in a year's time nbc is going to go there for the summer olympics mm-hmm. uh for the fir- first time the 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 beijing olympics i mean that is that was one of the first real looks and I give looks in quotation marks because it was the look into China that was agreed upon by the Chinese government and NBC and all that sort of stuff. And it's just really funny because, you know, Bob Costas gets on there in the NBC and he's just like, ah, this place is totally pollution free. I don't know what everyone's talking about. And it's like pretty much everyone that goes to China is like, man, that place is so polluted, you know, and (laughs) the smog stick everywhere. And you're sitting there going like, so who's correct? But you know it's it's just how they go. So so the fact that they're just trying to drum up some propaganda on those sorts of things, yeah, I get it. Uh, you know, I heard everybody Survivor, everybody does it. I heard Survivor was supposed to film in Sochi in 2013, but everyone mysteriously disappeared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh wow, shots fired. Um, <laughs> all right, let's go to the immunity challenge here. The gross foods. Yeah, like the like you said, there's a lot of foods here that we would not particularly enjoy in the West. But yeah, I've. I've gotten in trouble on the internet before for saying, ooh, Balut's gross, and I get a ton of readers say, no, we eat Balut all the time. That's so insensitive. It's That's a perfectly normal snack food over here. So we will uh, be nice here when we're talking about this one. 
Um, the, one bit that, the one bit that I was like a little <laughs> offended by on PG's behalf was when uh, Jeff pulls out like chicken hearts and says the name for it in Chinese, which I'm sure, you know, Jeff Probst's like pronunciation was just so great. And then looks at PG and goes, ask her, do you know what that is? Like she's going to like automatically know like Jeff Probst's pronunciation <laughs> oh, of chicken hearts in Chinese. And I'm sure Shian was watching like, this. No. Shian was watching this at home and saying like, man, this would have been my challenge. These two guys yeah. didn't even know. <laughs> And All right. Rob was like, oh, it's effing disgusting. <laughs> All right. So the first round, we have Frosty versus PG when they have to eat chicken hearts. Yeah. And Frosty wins, and then he licks the plate. So I was like, they are clearly not too grossed out by the chicken hearts. Next round, we have Courtney against Jamie where they have to eat some eel. Yeah. And then no. uh, this one where Jamie wins, ties it up for one, one to one. And this, the, this point, they cut to James <laughs> in disbelief that they're not throwing the challenge. He goes, wait, I thought John who was throwing this challenge. And here's Jamie scarfing down the eel. He's like, what the hell? I don't think we mentioned enough in part one how much James is just great for reactionary shots during challenges. Specifically, when yeah. we get to the individual immunity ones, there are some great shots there. But like even in this one, like we said before, he has an agenda. He wants John Hu to surprisingly lose. So it, he doesn't have a very good poker face uh, so that when things aren't going his way, he is incredulous about it. Yeah. I get the feeling like James always strikes me very weird because there are some parts sometimes w- with his interactions where I'm like, James has had a lot of interaction with people. And then there are times where you're like, James has had very little interaction with people. And I think that reaction shots sort of show that because he just seems genuinely surprised by, by crap that people are doing on the show at all times. And it's like, okay, people are doing weird things. You're in a game. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a weird, stressful environment. But like, it's sometimes like James is just like, is this how humans do? Like, is this, <laughs> is this what's going on? Like, really? The thing with James is I get the sense he talks to a person just enough to determine what he thinks about them and then he doesn't talk to them anymore. Yeah, and that's like, about it. He makes up his mind and that's it. That's all I have to know about them. Yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I mean, he started the episode by just sort of saying, like, what's up to Jean Hu when he woke them up? But it'd be interesting to track how many words he said to Jean Hu in this, like, three-day cycle of this episode. And how many of them were F-words? Yeah, he, he strikes me as a... I feel like t- in order to play Survivor, for the most part, most of the people that play Survivor are extroverts as far as... Uh, as opposed to introverts, because I feel like that's just what the show demands. But I feel like we have had some introverts on the show, but at at best, I think James is an ambivert, which is sort of like the he straddles that line between introvert and extrovert because he seems to me like someone that keeps to himself and almost prefers that in a way. But he does have a lot of good social skills that, mm-hmm. that sort of balance it out. But but he, he there's a lot of things that strike to me as introversion. And some of it is just his absolute disbelief at things that people do. But you're exactly right. If you need a reaction shot, he's like the Jim Halpert of Survivor, you know? <laughs> well, you know Just like Jim Halpert. He's internalized what Leslie told him in the first episode, that charm is deceiving. So, <laughs> But I also, what I loved watching this, uh, watching this challenge when uh, Jamie was up there, I didn't realize it till notice it till this time watching for historians, that when Jamie's up there and she's gagging a little bit, you look, if you listen carefully in the background, you have Denise trying to kind of taunt Jamie. This is obviously yeah. before Denise gets up there. And you hear her going, oh, there's the gagging, there's the puking. <laughs> and Denise yeah. is, well, Denise isn't a janitor yet, but she's going to be used to a lot of puke later on in her life. <laughs> Get out the sawdust. Yeah, uh, talk about karma. All right, so Jay, the round... Jay, that, Jay, that Jim Halpert comparison just totally blew my mind, because now, now I realize John Robert is a combination of the worst qualities of Dwight Schrute and Michael Scott. 
Yeah, kind of. All right, and uh, Amanda's basically Creed, because you never see her. All right, so let's go round three. Speaking of Amanda, round three has Eric against Amanda in the eating of the baby turtles. Oh, my God. Oh, this is the worst one, in my opinion. I apologize to people that might be eating baby turtles out there as garnishes during their, you know, during wedding receptions. But, yeah, this one would seem pretty nasty. Yeah, a lot of people have griped about that scene over the years. They can't watch it. That just It's not really a Western thing to watch people eating baby turtles. In fact, my wife is just walking by me. She's walking in the room as I'm recording, and she loves turtles. They're her favorite animal. And just the minute I mentioned look, eating baby turtles, she shot me a look. She's like, I hate that scene. So, yeah, a lot of people do not like this scene. Um, I, don't particularly like, sorry, I don't particularly like it either, other than the fact that we used to have a red-eared slider pet turtle, just like exactly the ones they were eating. And he was the worst pet ever, so I didn't mind it so much because I think turtles are horrible if you actually own one. I think it's just the graphic eating of the turtles is in like, there's the turtle, cooked, eat it. You know, because turtle is a, it's, you know, for, for as much as, you know, especially in, in the United States and, and that stuff, people have turtles as pets and, and people seem to remark with cute turtles. Turtle is actually something that's eaten quite often. Turtle mm-hmm. soup is something that, you know, you have. But I mean, again, it's turtle soup is in chunks of turtle meat in sort of a broth, right? As opposed to just, here's a turtle, eat it. Yeah. You know, which I think is more shocking. Well, they threw in the keyword baby there, which is the one that makes people flip out. Baby turtles. Yeah, well, this, this an adult turtle is like, I mean, geez, dude, that's a lot of meat if it's yeah. an adult yeah. turtle. This is basically like the veal version of turtle, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I'm glad you said that. Oh, God, that's fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, so we owned a, a red ear slider at home, and he was a horrible pet. He stunk. Turtles are smelly, so... yeah. If you have to eat turtles, go ahead, eat them. All right, so yes, and Eric wins that one. Eric is the master of the eating of the baby turtles. Because Amanda is too pure. She's too pure for baby turtles. All right, let's get to the main event. (laughs) All right. Next up, we got Denise versus James in the Balut. Always a favorite. And, you know, as as much as we are here, you know, we're being sensitive that we're not bashing Balut. Balut is, without question, the nastiest thing I've ever seen. Well, I mean, Denise bashes some Balut into her face in the first few seconds of this challenge. Ah! Uh, she yells at her I, there are you know rewatching survivor there are definitely some moments when you're like when you're like it's like if you're rewatching a comedy movie and you're like oh yeah that's funny uh but this is a, a moment that always makes me laugh out loud every time i watch it denise going aggro for the first two seconds of the <laughs> challenge just screaming at the balut and then trying to throw a piece in her mouth and it immediately falling off it's the best way to <laughs> go aggro and then fail i think i've seen in quite a long time well it and it also sort of shows the, the different strategies that you can have going into a gross food eating contest, which I feel like with the eels and there are certain things like, I, okay, gross food I, I can't do. I, I would fail at this challenge 100 times out of 100 because I just I, – I, I'm, I'm one of those. So, But like a balut is not something like with an eel. Like if you're in the eel round, like in theory, you know, with time being no object. Now, obviously, they were racing against each other, so you've got – that sort of time element in there but eel is something where you could like break it apart and maybe eat it in smaller chunks and try to get it down but like how do you do that with a balut like with a balut it's, it's just it's there you just got to eat it you know and you got to watch out for the beak as probes warned us back in palau of course but yeah so this is the one where james is trying to throw the challenge he wants denise to eat it because he wants to lose and use his idol but Denise, bless her heart, cannot get the balut down. She's having the hardest time. And it's it's actually kind of a sweet scene if you think about it. Like, James is so noble, he doesn't – he eventually decides he's going to eat the balut because he doesn't want, doesn't want Denise to embarrass herself. Like, he kind of feels bad for her towards the end. He's like, yeah, I got it. And he's like 
And I have to think when I watch that, it's kind of a sweet moment. He's like, I just can't watch her humiliate herself anymore. I'll just might as well do it. So it kind of ruins James' plan, but he does it to save Denise's dignity. And Jean Hu goes up 3-1 because James just eats the balloon. Let's see. So now we go up to the final round. I forgot there was one after the balloon. The, uh, <laughs> this is a fun one. The, they call it the 1,000-year-old egg, or the, I guess the official term would be the century egg, which mm-hmm. is interesting because a century is not a 1,000 years. But anyway, yeah, so the, if you're not familiar with century eggs, I actually spent a lot of time reading up on them last night, trying to figure out basically what the hell is that. Are you guys familiar with century eggs? Yeah, I, I actually was on an Amazing Race podcast where the, one of the tasks I had to do was eat a 100-year-old egg, and I had the exact same debate about how some cultures, they're called 100-year-old eggs, some they're called 1,000. I think some of you know some of these officials are pulling a Lisi Linares in that they don't know how many zeros are in a 1,000. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I did a ton of research last night for just for our viewers who aren't aware of this. Uh, century eggs are a Chinese delicacy. It's basically a way they take an egg. I believe it's, is it fertilized or a raw egg? I forget which one it is. I think but it's fertilized. It's fertilized. They pack it in, uh, what is it, mud? They pack it in lime, like lime something. There's three different chemicals they pack it in. And you basically just let it sit there for six to eight weeks or something like that. And what happens is all the chemicals from the lime and the and the clay and the mud get in through the shell they change the ph of the egg they basically i think change it from a nine to a 12 and once it gets to a ph of 12 it's it's safe to eat and they basically change the entire composition of the egg where the yolk turns from being you know thick and a thick eggy yolk it turns into more like cream like like uh peanut butter creamy peanut butter i would say and then the white of the egg through this chemical reaction turns basically into gelatin it turns into jello so it's basically like jello with some peanut butter in the middle and i've heard that it tastes like very strong cheese but the taste isn't what scares people off what scares people off is the smell that it's so ammonia smelling and so sulfuric smelling that it's almost impossible to get near your face for the first time without gagging and that's what really throws people off that the taste is actually supposedly not that bad it, yeah, I mean, century eggs are something that's used. I mean, I, I don't, I can't timeline this, but uh, there's another reality show that pops up called Fear Factor um, that people may yes, or may not yes, be familiar yes, with. That's how I know about it. Yeah, Fear, this Fear Factor is, is a show. It's basically where you, you have to do things, and if you, uh, which which is either like sometimes it's it's falling from heights or doing things with heights, and sometimes it's something physical, sometimes it's uh, being Johnny somewhere. Well, there's that. Um, sometimes it's being with animals that are sort of gross, and a lot of times it's eating things. And a lot of times in the eating parts of Fear Factor, century eggs are something they use all the time on that show. Like, you know, and it's not just eat one. It's like eat three or eat five or, you know, <laughs> eat, eat some ungodly amount of century eggs. But they busted them out on here on Survivor. And, like, was did Frosty do this round? Yep. Yes, Frosty. And he, like, and he like, ate the egg in, like, two seconds. It was, like, awesome. Way, way to way to, way to combat the whole balut round there. Yeah, and that's the thing. To, like, again, this is just like the balut in that in some cultures, they eat century eggs all the time. Like, this is just very common street food in some uh, some countries. So it's one of those things you kind of feel bad bashing. But I, I look at that thing. I'm like, I could not eat that thing. And, again, I was I was just reading reviews on the Internet of people trying this trying these foods, these exotic foods, and there's a lot of – video of people trying century eggs for the first time and it's apparently it's the smell that gets you and i feel like eric is actually the unsung hero of this challenge because he it's a it's a close eek for both rounds but he does amanda with the baby turtles which that's came out very wrong um and that <laughs> uh and then he goes against frosty here in the final round 
I do have to say, we're going to get to know Eric a lot more over these next few episodes. I think they call Eric adorable over and over again. He kind of is, to me, in a way. Like, yeah. he does this thing where, like, it's really close between him and Frosty. He just kind of gingerly taps Jeff on the shoulder, and Jeff looks at, over at him, and he sticks his tongue out and beats Frosty by, like, a millisecond, and that gives Jean Hu the win. But I don't know. As boring as the guy may be, I mean, he's pretty droll in his confessionals. But I don't know. There's something about him. Maybe he's just so ho-hum down to the farm that makes me really like him yeah he just seems like a good dude yeah I, and again there's one the one person he was constantly compared to at the time and that was ethan they always said oh, he looks like ethan he acts like ethan and he kind of does i mean ethan's not quite as as farm as eric might be but they're kind of similar in their their demeanor i mean I, I was gonna save this for for later on uh, eventually when eric goes home but eric seems to me like a really nice guy Overall, and I know I'm not like really blowing anyone's mind by saying that, but he almost seems too nice for Survivor. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Yeah, but keep that in mind. Coming up, uh, one of my favorite Eric scenes is in a couple episodes that I think he's actually, you know, he has he can he can be funny very 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 subtly, especially with this cast. He's like so below the radar. And also, you know, you talked before about how Jean Robert is going to quote unquote figure out that James has the idols, but Eric is going to be the one to let that little secret slip in too. So I think yes, he's a super nice guy, but I feel like he's also the type that like when his backup is, is against the wall, he's going to use that nice guy persona as a strategy. Sure. All right, so with uh, Eric eating the 1,000-slash-century-old egg, uh, we have Jean Hu winning immunity. So basically, so much for James's dreams. They could not throw the challenge successfully. James is safe tonight. He's going to have an idol. He's going to have two idols. And we're going to go back to Fei Long, and Fei Long is going to lose somebody tonight. And odds are it's going to be either Sharia or Frosty. Isn't it crazy that this is Sharia's boot episode? There's been, like, hardly anything about her this whole episode. Yeah, I, I'd forgotten it. Was, I forgot she was even in the episode until, like, this part. Yeah, well, I most, feel like... The most focus she got was purposely not saying anything to PG. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, well that sort of se- it sort of seals her fate because, you know, things are coming in motion here, right? Like, you know, we... we and, and this is ultimately... What, what's funny is that Sharia's exit is literally just the, the backfire of the throwing of the challenge beforehand to where... Mm-hmm. I know I said on the previous podcast, I thought that throwing the challenge is the play. And I don't think that it's not the play. However, if you then suddenly feel like the people that you were throwing the challenge for aren't with you, then clearly it's not the play because you you have just taken out a Jean Hu member, you know, or, or you, you know, it's like at this point they need to maintain all the Jean Hus and like they need to continue with the throwing and the and the getting rid of James and all that sort of stuff, which I know there's an idol in play, but it's like you got to do it. But, but at this point, they're like, no, let's win now. And it's like, yeah, but they're going to go home. And, and it just was a baffling sort of reversal by uh, Jamie and PG here. But uh, through all this, we get Sharia voted out, which Sharia got some nice moments talking about how she didn't want to do any work around camp beforehand and um, in, in episodes previous. But you're right that this is Sharia's boot episode. And literally the one thing we get from her is I don't understand quite what PG was trying to tell me with the semaphore flag she was giving during the challenge. I mean, her strongest moment in the episode is going to come at Tribal Council. That's like where you get the most from her, and then and then it's over so quickly. Right. Yeah, though, and it's interesting because this becomes much less about Sharia as much as this whole pre-Tribal Council segment is going to become about Courtney, Todd, and Amanda, in that right. the, the plan right now is to get rid of Sharia 
because I guess they want to keep Frosty around, A, because he's more athletic in case there's other challenges, and B, because now he's kind of been blackmailed into this alliance via accidentally finding the idol. But Sharia is one of Courtney's friends. Let's remember, Courtney was also friends with Leslie. I don't think we actually talked on the last podcast about how Courtney and Leslie actually had a super tight relationship, and that's why she voted with Leslie against Jean Robert. So Courtney started to get a little more pissed off that people are starting to vote off her friends. So she posits, let's get a, gets rid of John Robert now. And this is going to coalesce in a very frantic scene where Todd and Amanda meet in the middle of the jungle. Todd is flipping his shit about how he feels he has to get rid of John Robert right now. Whereas Amanda is going to be the calming force here and tells him, no, this is not our time to strike. Let's get rid of Sharia. Yeah, Courtney has a very bad habit of making friends with the people who are about to go home. And this is not going to stop right here. It's going to keep going. Yeah, so basically it's supposed to be Sharia or Frosty. It all flips around to will it be Sharia or Jean Robert instead because Courtney and Sharia start pushing for Jean Robert. And then Todd realizes, oh, man, Courtney's a loose cannon. We're going to watch out for her down the road. She doesn't want to go with the alliance. She just wants to do her own thing. And we go to tribal council. Again, it's going to be Sharia or Jean Robert. And, yeah, the, the scene that I remember from this tribal council is where Jean Robert points out the probes. You know, I get a lot of hate. People don't like me because I'm a bad boy. And Courtney just starts laughing. And we go into a little debate over what it means to be a bad boy where Courtney posits that if you do not own a Harley or if you're not Luke Perry, you cannot call yourself a bad boy. So that is her, her rebuttal, which I think is an excellent rebuttal. But yeah, it's you know, yet another one of those Courtney versus Jean Robert moments, which rears its head. And it's a funny one that people like to laugh at. I love the, I love the Luke Perry drop, by the way. I feel like Courtney is one of the best pop culture reference <laughs> machines on yeah. Survivor. Uh, and I feel like the Luke Perry poll was a very good one, even though Luke Perry was what? He was a heartthrob a good 10 years before <laughs> this season came on yes. the air, uh, which I think actually spoke more to her attitude towards John Robert. It's like, oh, yeah, if you think you're a bad boy, you're a washed up bad boy at this point. <laughs> she drops a Luke Perry reference here, and then in a couple episodes, she'll drop a Susan Lucci reference. So yeah. Uh, Paul, do you know who Luke Perry is? I'm just curious. Sure. It so- sounds familiar. Okay. Yikes. Yeah, so anyway, uh, Jean Robert is spared yet again, which is good, because I love any episode with him in it. Yes, but we lose Sharia, who is... Can I give some Sharia love in this tribal council? Like, I have some quotes here from her. You can't after I bash her. Can I bash her first? Okay, start with the bash. <laughs> I was just going to say that people say the boot order of a season is very good, and it helps uh, how good or how well a season will be received, uh, and how good, uh, much of a quality is in the season, but yeah... We lose Sharia here, which is excellent because she's probably the most minor character left in the game. So I, I think it works out great. When we had it gone the other way, we would have lost PG or Jamie or James or something like that, who are much bigger characters. So I think it was excellent that we lose a minor character here and we get to the fun stuff starting next episode. I'm done. Yeah, I'll just eulogize her a lot of, um, a little bit here because I think for a preseason boot that she definitely brought a lot to the table. And, um, and so I can appreciate a lot of the quotes she gives us. And she kind of has her final... Um, her final run here at the Tribal Council. I love what John Robert's going on. He starts, he, Jeff, I can't remember what Jeff asked him. He kind of starts, he keeps talking and talking and talking, and Sharia just goes, did you ask him all that? Wow. Somebody along the way told him he has something important to say because he does a lot of talking, always running his mouth, story after story. And then John Robert stops and is like, what do you say to that? And then she tells him, like, nothing. You don't say anything to that. And then she does the little jab. Little do you know, they don't like you. <laughs> and then when she gets up to vote, she has a very, like, no one talks about this, the voting confessional, but I love it. She's voting, and she holds up her vote and goes, somebody, somebody along the way told you you're hot. 
I'm going to bust that big old bubble and call him out and tell him you're not. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, if I could compare Cherie to some other Survivor contestants, I feel like she's a combination of the best qualities of Christine Shields and Stacey Powell from Survivor South Pacific. Like, I feel like they're to coach what, sta- what Sharia is to John Robert right now. <laughs> yeah, Sharia was an interesting uh, character because in a lot of the early challenges, she was like a challenge beast. She was really good at the challenges. So she's, she's actually more significant to the season than people remember. She was right there as the star of almost all the early challenges for Sean Hu. Also, did you guys notice, is Denise writing a number in the corner of her vote? Yeah, she's she always does number three, if I recall, correct? So she's doing the coach method. She's just spelling out C C C C C C C. No, <laughs> yeah, she's doing Roman numerals. <laughs> no, uh, no, I, I I ran a an ORG once called Survivor Okinawa, and the players that was one of the oh, things. Oh, did you? Did. Have yeah. you heard about this? Tell us <laughs> well, about it, please. Hey, this is relevant more. to this because our our old friend Mertz Jaffer came up with this where. He's like, this is how you know who's voting the way they should. You just give everyone a number, and they write it on the votes. You can always tell who's casting which vote, and you can control their behavior. So it's, I, I know, I'm sure they do that a lot on the actual show, but I wasn't aware that that was a thing until I saw Mertz do it in my game. That I think that's what they do. They tell Denise she's number three, and she always writes it up there so they know that she's loyal. I mean, it makes sense, right? I guess so, but I mean, I, I know Denise does not have probably the uh, strategic acumen to like throw away votes to try to harbor some sort of chaos but if she did probably wouldn't pass off in her putting the number three in her in the corner of the throwaway vote (laughs) she's just she's very loyal let's leave it at that but yeah i I noticed the number three as well but it's funny because she's the only one that does it you think if there was some kind of system other people would be numbering votes too all right so we've lost sharia and now we're moving on to the infamous jamie episode which is probably my favorite episode of the season I do love how in this previously on segment, we don't talk too much about it, but Jeff clearly establishes here that and James, you know, got given a plaque and because it had a message on it, it was an immunity <laughs> idol. Yes. He's, a, he's playing the, the setup man. He's Ed McMahon to uh, James's Johnny Carson. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, this is the one we start with the episode where Courtney is pissed because Todd and Amanda would not back her up. They would not vote for Jean Robert last night. Courtney's ready to just you know, cause all sorts of trouble because she feels like they don't take her seriously. And and I do have to point this out. I want to talk more about this later, that Courtney is an interesting character because when people tend to remember Courtney, they just remember, oh, you know, she's snarky, she makes fun of everything, she doesn't care. But that's not really true. If you watch China again, she's very sensitive. She's like She tries to be part of the group. She feels people don't respect her. They don't honor her wishes. They ignore her. She gets her feelings hurt a lot. She's way more three-dimensional than I think most people tend to remember her. That she's not this uncaring little thing at all. She's, she's almost too caring, I think, in, in a sense. And you'll notice that actually in a couple episodes later. She's very sweet with some people, especially Frosty. She's a very nice person. So I just wanted to point it out right here that, you know, Courtney's furious that her friends aren't backing her up. And this is a big part of Courtney's storyline this season. And I know that one of the criticisms that Adam brought up in an email that you read off partially last time was that things felt a little too clicky and a little too high school. And the argument that I at least, I at least had was for the first bit of this season – the argument's going to happen between a lot of older castaways. But here I can definitely see where his argument comes from. I mean, this first segment at Faye Long is basically Courtney feeling like she's left out and that she doesn't really have any friends, which screams more Degrassi than Survivor at this point. So I can at least understand that how that aspect comes into this scene in particular. Yeah. It also shows you in a way here, and this is, you could see sort of the grappling here. And I, you could see that Todd and Amanda were really sort of 
uh, I think, sort of tag teaming the whole thing. And, and it's a part of Survivor that they just don't show anymore. And it's something that I'm going to harp on for a bit. And it's, it's, the, it's the maintaining your own alliance, right? You know, we get a lot of stories and, and a lot of uh, Survivor has played out in, in more recent seasons where it's that thing where there's a big alliance on one side and they sort of mostly pagong or vote split or idle out kind of everyone on the, on the minority. But then there's like one or two people left in the, the, the minority uh, alliance and they're able to use an idol, win immunities, do some things and sort of uh, flip the game on. And then, and then they sort of end up winning in this, in this underdog role, which is nice and, and fun that we like to see. But, but by the same token, there's something to be said for having a majority alliance, having the majority alliance win out uh, over the, the minority alliance and keeping it together for the most part. And not that, not that the Fei Long alliance totally stays together. I mean, obviously there's going to be some breaks uh, coming up here, but for the most part, they are going to go into this merge. They have the numbers over Jean Hu and they have to kind of keep their alliance together. There's a lot of moving parts here. There's James on the other side right now. And Courtney is a member of the, of this alliance. And she's actually a core member of, of, Todd and Amanda's alliance. She's actually sort of the third it, when, you, when you think about it. Sort of James and Denise are more peripheral. But Courtney is upset because Courtney wants John Robert to go. And I mean, I think that it, in this scene or, or a scene coming up where uh, Todd kind of looks at her and says, I need John Robert for how I am playing right now. And Courtney's like, well, I don't. And I don't like him. And I want him out of here. And he's like, I hear you. And the thing is, is that he's trying to do damage control. He's trying to maintain his relationship with his majority alliance members. And that's something you don't see a lot these days. It's something that I think is taken for granted uh, mm-hmm. on seasons, but you get to see, and I, I'm not saying that Todd is like doing it so skillfully here. I mean, ultimately it works and Courtney stays in line, but you could see sort of the, the struggles, I guess, or, or just the, the work that it takes to not only maintain, you know, your position through a game and, and to maintain leverage over uh, a, an opposing alliance, but sort of maintaining your own alliance and the integrity within it. Yeah, I was going to say that's one of the reasons I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought that up. That's one of the reasons why I like this season so much is that it's very in-depth and in that the day-to-day minutia of trying to keep the alliance together while not you know, taking into account everyone's feelings, opinions, making sure people feel valued. Like, Denise has a storyline later, I don't feel valued, they don't listen to me. Like, this is a very realistic part of Survivor, and the reason I like it is because it reminds me of Borneo in a way, that a lot of Borneo, the second half, was that. Like, how does Rich, how do Richard and Sue try to keep this alliance together with everyone trying to bolt off and do their own thing? Like, how do you, what's the day-to-day reality of trying to make sure everyone's voice, they feel like they're heard? So, I just really appreciate it. I'm glad you pointed that out because it is something that jumps out at me in this season. It almost, it, it, it almost seems like Kasaya the new class in a way in that these are a bunch of – they're not as outlandish personalities as people like Shane and Sari and Danielle and Courtney. But there's a very similar mentality, specifically like you could draw comparisons between John Robert and Courtney and Shane and, ironically enough, Courtney. I don't know what it is about <laughs> Courtney's on Survivor and drawing ire from loud male contestants, but there's something in that. But – You could kind of put Todd in the sort of Aris and Sari role at this point in that he really is, to make it a rest of development reference, he's the one guy that's trying to keep them all together. uh, And he, you know, there's it's a a, uh, 7-3 going into the merge if you count Frosty, but it's a very, very shaky 7. And yes, they do bleed a couple people along the way, but we'll see once we get down to like the final 7 or final 6. They actually do a really good job of solidifying it despite the myriad personalities that come about. Yeah, how shitty are their apartments? (laughs) Well, Courtney lives in New York, so probably pretty shitty. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to say that I'm glad you brought up the Kasai uh, comparison because that's one I was thinking of too. In fact, I would say the only difference I really see between China and uh, Exile Island is that Todd is just a more interesting character than Aris. So the story works better through Todd's eyes than it really ever does with Aris. I mean, I like Aris. He just doesn't make particularly great TV, and I think Todd does. And that's, that's why I think, the one thing that keeps Exile Island from being a fantastic season. And, and the China Hidden Immunity Idol isn't a severed head. <laughs> yes, that's the only other difference, yes. All right, so, uh, so yeah, we start with Episode 7. Courtney's pissed. Her friends wouldn't back her up. And then she gives us the quote that she dislikes Todd and Amanda more than she dislikes other people, and they mistake that for friendship, which is a cute little Courtney quote. And then uh, we go to Jean Hu, and uh, James has a free minute at the start of the episode. He has the one immunity idol that he was supposed to use last night. He never used it. So he's like, well, I might as well grab the other one, too. He pulls it off when he has a minute by himself, and now he has two idols. And James gives us a perfectly understated James quote. I have two idols. That's funny. And I think we also need to talk about PG in this scene specifically. Um, I know PG, the PG is annoying storyline is very prominent in the first couple of episodes and then kind of backs down. But it, it is in full force as we get into the merge here because this might be a hot take. PG does not have very good social skills on Survivor. Uh, she really that, doesn't. Yeah. That when she sits down with James here, she's using, she's using terms like, don't let me down. You don't usually want to say that. You don't want to try to guilt somebody into joining your alliance. And it usually doesn't work unless you're Tom Westman. And, you know, she talks about how she genuinely likes James and she suspects he might be conning her, but something tells me, like, I have to trust you. And she's telling James, like, well, we sacrificed one of our own for you. You owe that much to us. And they're even going to talk about later on that the reason they target Jamie over PG is because PG is so blatantly bad at her strategizing that Jamie is the bigger threat. Yeah, yeah. The, we're going to get to some hardcore PG bashing in the next two episodes. Um, although the one thing I want to talk about here is that Jay had mentioned that Todd has some very dark moments, some negative scenes. I assume that he's talking about the scene that we're coming up to here, where uh, Jay, uh, Todd and Courtney have this big falling out on uh, Fei Long, and she's like, you don't respect me, blah, blah, blah. And Courtney's furious at, at not only Todd, but also Amanda and Denise, and... Todd gives a confessional, which I'm sure is going to raise the ire. Some people where Todd says, right now, Jean Robert is one of my numbers. Deal with it, bitch. So, yeah, there's Todd's perhaps less positive scenes. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's not it. I'm not saying, well, Todd is negative because of that. But, you know, like I said, it's not painting Todd in the right light. And, I mean, I guess you could say, say, Todd is strong. Todd is being efficient. But at the same time, Todd is being a little... uh, baby. He's yeah, he's he's being a little bit of a baby and he's he's reveling in a little bit of cockiness, which is weird for these few episodes, because this is, I think, Todd's as we're talking about, he's got to navigate this majority alliance and he's got to keep it together. And he sort of loses his mind from time to time here. And, he, you know, this is a moment of clarity where he's like he's he's lost his mind trying to maintain Courtney and maintain Jean Robert. And it's tough because they just absolutely hate each other. And Courtney, I feel, is more in his. Jean Robert is just a peripheral number to him, and and Courtney is a number to him, but Courtney is a little more inner circle. But Courtney wants Jean Robert out, and Todd's like, "I need both of you for a little bit. You just need to hang the frick on." And Courtney just is like, "No, you need to listen to me. You're not listening to me." And Todd's like, "I'm listening to you, but I don't really give a crap because I'm trying to keep this thing afloat." And so you you could see him just sort of he's frustrated and he's letting it out in, a, in an interview. And I'm not saying you're going Todd is a bad person because he's saying deal with it, bitch, and stuff like that. But it's like. 
you could just see Todd is literally just angry and paranoid trying to keep this whole thing together. Yeah. And you can also say the producers didn't have to put that quote in there. Like it's odd that they left that in there for their winner even. Like yeah. normally they don't do scenes like that. You could easily, as an editor, I could cut that scene. Right now, John Robert is one of my numbers. Deal with it. Cut right there. Don't even need yeah. to put in the last word. They could. It's, so it's odd that they included it. Well, I feel like Todd is also one of the only male Survivor characters that could pull off the phrase deal with it, bitch. I mean, could you imagine <laughs> Boston Rob saying that? Yeah, I don't think uh, Dan from Worlds Apart would get away with that one. Oh, no. Dan's, <laughs> Dan's house would get burned down for that statement. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, Todd, you know, the gay flight attendant, he gets the sassy, he gets the sassy, uh, uh, what, what are the... I forget my term, but they get the benefit of the doubt. Thank you, there he is. He gets the sassy benefit of the doubt. They, they will allow him to use that word. So yeah, so let's go over to Jean Hu here. Where uh, Jamie, here we go. Here's a wonderful one of the my all-time favorite storylines in any Survivor season ever. Jamie, who is actually not dumb. That's the thing. A lot of people think Jamie's dumb. She's not at all. She's, she's not an like, honor student. She is. Yeah, she's not cat. She's more like Heidi, and that she's bright, but she doesn't really realize how she comes off to people. People kind of misinterpret her because she just has a goofy demeanor. But yeah, so Jamie, of course, very bright, notices. Hey, there's a uh, square missing from above our. I guess the freaking thing that Todd would have called it. There's a square missing from up there. She goes, look, guys, and they find that one of the, the things that James pulled down off their, off their little archway. And Eric picks it up, and he says, hey, it looks idolish. Like, they don't have any clues. They don't know there's an idol. They just think it looks idolish. So Eric gives it to his girlfriend, and now Jamie has what she thinks is a hidden immunity idol. Now, and her best inference is it could say immunity idol in Chinese. I know. Why don't they pull a Jeff and turn to PG and ask what it means? <laughs> PG, could you read this for us? Yeah. In, in Marina Del Rey, how do they pronounce this? Um, I, and it, I believe, and you can fact check on me, this on me, guys. Is this the first time that like a major prop has been used in a confession? Because it stuck out a little bit to me that Eric has the board in the confessional and holds it up. I can't really think of a time when someone like brought, like Shane didn't even bring his Blackberry into his confessional. That's a good point. Mm. I'm trying to think. Is there any props in Survivor? Has any inanimate what? objects other than Amanda that made their way into a confessional? Besides Sarah's hey. boobs. <laughs> haven't, haven't they shown idols before or talismans? Like, didn't, didn't Yao they Man. have, like... Sh- well, Yao Man held his up. Yao Man held his up, and, like, didn't Terry, when he found the, the shrunken head talisman on Exile Island, kind of show it to the... I mean, that wasn't a framed sit around and sort of, you know, manspread in front of a log sort of thing. But, you know, I, I think that immunity idols have been shown before, but I think it's odd just because the immunity idols this season is just a gigantic board square <laughs> as opposed to some sort of, like, necklace or talisman or something that you can sort of put in your pocket. Like, it's a giant square, which I love, by the way. I think that mm-hmm. idol, hidden immunity idols should just be huge so that you, it's hard to hide. <laughs> it's like a canoe. Yeah. Yeah, imagine if Rupert tried to make a bulge in his pants in Heroes vs. Villains knowing that the hidden immunity idols is just this giant square. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's fun because it adds a different element. And and again, something part of this whole thing, like, you can't script this. Like, you can't script it better, the fact that Todd gives James the idol. Then James pulls pulls down he pulls down both boards because he pulls down the one that doesn't say anything on the back because he has the one, so he knows that there's writing on the back. So then he pulls down the second board, but instead of like discarding the other board, he just chucks it because he's like, yeah, whatever, screw it. I've got the real idol, which is fine. But then, uh, you know, Eric and Jamie notice that they pick it up. They're like, maybe this is a hidden immunity idol. I don't know. Uh, all that sort of stuff. But then again, you can't script this even better because at night, like James is gone or early in the morning or sometime when it's dark, like James is gone and they go and look through his stuff, right? 
and they realize that he's got two boards, but it's all wrapped up in his pants, and I, it, they either don't take the final step to unwrap them, or it's just too dark for them to see it anyway, but they just sort of confirm that he's got two similar squares in his bag, and they're like, well, he's got two squares. I guess this is an idol, but it's like they, they can't see the writing. Yeah. Or, you know, in some way, which is, again, something that you would literally write in a script. Like, they sort of halfway checked and confirmed, but didn't all the way check and confirm, which just sort of makes the ending even that funnier. Well, Jamie is it used is. to recognizing shapes in guys' pants, so I think that was her real house. <laughs> well, I have, to, I have to defend Jamie a little bit. that it's, it's not that dumb an idea, because she did find that James has those boards right. in, his, in his bag. So, again, yeah. I, I mean, I've made fun of Jamie as much as anybody, but yeah, she, it's, she's not dumb here. She's, I'm, not, I'm not saying yeah. it's stupid. I'm just saying yeah. that, again, for storyline reasons, it's not like they could go the whole way and go, oh, this one's got writing on it. You know, like yeah. they just sort of see like, oh, he's got boards in his. Yeah, OK, this is it. Although let's let's not gloss over the fact that Eric is the one who finds the board and then Jamie is the one who has the idol. Does he just give it to her? Yeah. Like, we don't really see that. It's, and again, they're not really a couple yet. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we don't see it, how close they are in the episodes, but it's not like, like Boston, Rob, and Amber, where what's his is automatically hers. Like, I'm curious, how, what, what scene did we miss in the middle there where he finds it, and then all of a sudden Jamie says, I have the idol. Just, just something that well, struck me that, when I was watching this. Jamie makes Eric throw it in the grass, and then Jeff Probst picks it up, and then Jamie says, oh yeah, that's mine. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so Jamie has her own little idol that she thinks is, again, just it's a fair assumption that this is an idol, and you know that James has two of them now, so this is going to set the story for the rest of the episode here. And but we, have, so to, Jay- we, ha- we have to talk about this conventional, yeah. right? So of James, course, James. So yes. well, the, well, the next morning, James realizes that the blank board is gone. First off, he talks about how he figures the, the leading theory that an animal could have come and taken it is gone, so he pretty much assumes that one of them must have taken it, and I, I couldn't have transcribed it. Mario, I don't think even you could have transcribed it on the Funny Wimp 15, but he just breaks into indistinguishable hysterics <laughs> at this idea, and it, it is gleeful to watch. Well, it's funny. He somehow knows that Jamie has it. I don't know how he knows that, but he says, the thought that this dummy would take it, I would pass out in pure joy. Please let that happen. Please. That would be the best thing ever. And yeah, then he starts just devolving into random noises because he's laughing. He can't finish his sentence because he's laughing, thinking of Jamie having this board and thinking it's an idol. Yeah, it's basically, I try. I think I did try to see it. It's based on the funny 115, and it's basically, like, it's just random it's, noises. It's he can't get mouth. the sentence out. Yeah, it's much more. <laughs> and what I, the other thing I love is that you know, he does say on there. He's just like you know, you, you got to know it's not an idol because it doesn't have writing on it. And it's like, well, James, <laughs> this is the only idol to have writing on it. Like all the other ones were just small little trinkets. Like this one is big enough that you could write you know an essay on the back of it. It's probably what Lincoln wrote the Gettysburg Address on. Like it, it's just sort of the thing. And so he's just like, well, it's got to have writing on it. It's like, no, it doesn't. It could have a note attached. Like. It, that that's how all the rest of them go, but because he's seen the idols and he knows that there's writing on the back, that's obviously what he's going on. But he's just like, clearly they're dumb because an idol would have writing on it. It's like, well, no. Did if, but, if, all right. if, if the Gettysburg Address was written on the back of one of these things, did Lincoln have to ask one of the Chinese railroad workers to translate the symbol on it to see what it meant? Yikes! <laughs> was Mary Todd poking around on the shingles to knock it off? <laughs> exactly. Mary Todd. She was crazy, right? She was just poking <laughs> shingles on the roof, knocking them down with a big stick. <laughs> It has to have the writing on him. You don't got no writing. It has to have one of these. And he holds it out. It's just one of those great moments. And again, how could anybody not like China with that confessional in the middle of the season? 
And it's going to set up the whole rest of this episode. It's great. Like Jay said, it's, it's as if it was scripted. This works out as funny and, and as perfect as it possibly could have. It just happens to work out. The thought that this dummy would take it. <laughs> I love James. He's so giddy. That's the thing. He's so morose and grumpy when he's in a bad mood. But when he's so happy, he's so happy. It's just He's just dying of laughter. Well, I think we, what did we talk about? Did we talk about with Rocky that he either existed like a one or a 10? I feel like James is the exact same way. Yeah. And like Helen as well. There's some of my favorite characters are just that completely bipolar shift in if they're either just angry and upset or super happy and funny. There's nothing in the middle. All right. So now we get to the merge. We get, uh, what happened? They go to the challenge, and Jeff tells them to drop their buffs, if I recall. Well, it's not even a it's challenge. It's not a challenge. It's, yeah, it's just like a random, it might be even, even be the abandoned village that they were at last episode, where Jeff says, <laughs> all right, uh, he brings up the Art of War, because we haven't heard that in two episodes. So he says, the Art of War says, not only know yourselves, but your opponents. Drop your buffs, and everyone hugs. They're ninja buffs, as Frosty refers to them. Black buffs, Todd even does a nicely extra spicy racism ninja impression. Um, and here's the important point. Since Fei Long has quote unquote won the battle so far, they get to go back to their camp, which means Dave's fire pit is now completely out of the picture for the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Someone just asked me today, like, what are you, what was Dave thinking at home when he realized that they never got to use his fire pit? I'm like, Dave wouldn't have had time to watch the episodes. He was busy making his new fire pit at home. There's no way he was watching TV. All right, so yeah, we merge, and Jamie tells us she's very excited about the merge because she has a hidden immunity idol. It's a whole new ball game, and Jamie's setting herself up for one of the most delicious falls ever. And then uh, just, just yeah, Jeff says you're going to have a merge feast. There's going to be a performance, and he reminds them in very long, drawn-out letters. I just remind you, this game never stops. Hmm. Is more or less of a, more or less of a cryptic clue than the the first exile clue that Jeff gave in season twelve to Misty. Why? <laughs> um, yeah, but everyone else just Courtney's too excited about the alcohol, and John Robert's too excited about the young ladies who are dancing. Oh God! To, he pulls out to a whom Jer- he says, "You had me at hello." I know girls. He, he pulls out a Jerry Maguire <laughs> quote. <laughs> That's funny, and Courtney's happy because. Boo challenges, yay feast! All right, so uh, so they have the merge feast. They have the the firecrackers that go off, and they have the people that spin the plates, and they have the guy that I like this one that climbs up the pole with the swords on it, which is pretty cool. And they have some acrobats, and all this stuff is going to come back later in the immunity challenge. <clears throat> okay, so we uh, go back to Fei Long, and there's a scene where they're brainstorming what to be the new tribe name, and they want to do something with black in it, black fighting wind. And John Robert with a wonderful John Robert quote saying, we can't use black because then when James is gone, we have to change the name. <laughs> That's not a bad line. I like that one. I, like I, don't, that I, don't, one. Think, I don't think Alicia Calloway is cl- cracking a smile up there. <laughs> hey, James liked it. You know, I have to say, I have to give credit to, you know, John Robert is kind of an asshole. But the scenes where he and James are just kind of bickering or making fun of one another are always funny. They just bounce off each other really funny because James is always taking digs at him and stuff. But again, so I just it- appreciate isn't this something that, like, Michael Scott would say? Like, oh, no, we can't call this, you know, Black Tuesday because when Stanley leaves, we're going to have to change it. <laughs> yes. It's totally Michael Scott. You totally nailed that. That's like Prison Mike, something Prison Mike would <laughs> Yeah, exactly, say. when the Dementors were off duty. <laughs> yes. All right. Ha so ha, what there are other TV shows besides Survivor. Ha ha ha. Um, yeah, I love throwing out references Paul's never going to get. We like to make the, Paul uncomfortable. 
you know, Survivor teaches me about like your things, and you're like, oh, that's actually a quote from this movie, and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but there's also, I think, like the most excited Amanda gets this whole season is during this brainstorming session. You get a little sound bit of her going, "Black is hey" in Chinese. <laughs> that was like the most excited she got all season. Only Paul would write down his background Amanda quotes. Also, I love how the they're they're really adamant about the name Angry Monkey for their tribe at first before it gets <laughs> yeah. changed to Black whatever. Yeah, we can't well, use I liked, Black. Uh, that, that's and that's offensive, but Angry Monkey's perfectly fine. <laughs> I liked uh, uh, Denise uh, suggesting uh, the Monsoon Survivors. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! And when it when did Katrina happen? Doesn't it happen like a year after this? <laughs> no, Katrina was 06, dude. Oh, that was 06. earlier year. But when it's, were they It had been there? long like, enough. It had been long enough, okay? Enough time had passed. Although, let's point out that, you know, Jean Robert makes the line that they can't have black in the name, and then Frosty says, hey, PG and I were on the Yellow Tribe, which <laughs> is pretty good. I'm surprised the editors kept that in, because they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. All right, so this is where PG says, uh, you know, we're down here at the merge. She goes, we need to have Frosty and James with us or we're screwed, which is hilarious that she thinks she has James after they threw the challenge the first time and pissed him off, and then he's not really talking to her. So, oh, yeah, if we have James, we're fine. You know, if we get Todd and Amanda, too, that would be even better. Let's get them. You know what? Let's bring back Sharia. Let's bring back Dave. We got them, too. <laughs> yes. All right, so the new tribe name is Hey Defung. Is that right? Hi, Dave Fung. You're, you're, announcing, you're announcing it like it's on like a Soul Train song. Like, hey, Dave Fung. <laughs> yeah. Let me let me call uh, PG up to see if, how, if I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> so yes, the fight the the tribe's name is Black Fighting Wind. So they kept the black part in there. That was nice. All right. So we uh, Jeff come Jeff comes to camp. He brings. Oh yeah, this is a neat scene where Jeff comes to their camp. And they're like, "Who's that?" And Denise is like, "Hey, who's that Jeff Probst looking guy? Is that Jeff Probst?" <laughs> And so Probes comes with the immunity necklace and says, it's time for your first challenge. Well, also, Jeff Probes, not dick moment, but douche moment. What up? What's up? <laughs> what up? Such an asshole thing. He's guy. like, no welcome? And then he comes in and goes, what up? It's just like, Jeff, you're, you're, not, you're not under 25. You're, it, not, you're, you're, not, you're not the Beatles landing in New York. <laughs> he goes right up to James, starts talking slang like an airplane. <laughs> All right, so yeah, Jeff comes, he has the immunity necklace, he goes, it's time for your first challenge as a merged tribe, as the black fighting wind. And he says, uh, I remind you, you should have paid attention during the feast celebration. I'm going to test your knowledge. And they're like, oh, shit, because nobody paid attention. Who was it? Was it Frosty? Someone says, well, I paid attention to how much food there was and how good it was. <laughs> That's about it. Well, Frosty says he's screwed because he has a bad memory, which we'll see if that holds true in about three minutes. Yes. I think it was I think it was John Robert that says uh, I was yeah. paying attention to the food. All right, so the first question in the immunity challenge, how many times did firecrackers go off? And immediately we lose James, Amanda, and Courtney and PG, which and I love James. James knows full well he's never gonna win this challenge. He's like, I might as well go sit down. <laughs> so yeah, so we lose four people on the first one. They don't know that fireworks went off three different times during the challenge. And then uh or during the feast. The second question is, what was the centerpiece on the table? It was a little dragon. Everyone got that question right, including Eric, who named every single thing on the table. A slender, dark glass container, parentheses, soy sauce, and a stone dragon. And I guess we must repeat what they say. Isn't Eric adorable? 
All right. The next question is, there was a tall pole with knife blades as ladder rungs. What color was the pole? And the answer to this was yellow. Only Frosty and Jamie get it. So it's down to Frosty and Jamie for the final two for immunity. Uh, Frosty, the one who told us that he has a horrible memory, he'll never win this. And Jamie, who we're desperately hoping doesn't win immunity because we want to see her play a fake idol. Which, again, a fake idol has not been played yet at this point in Survivor history, correct? Yeah, we, no, I don't think anyone found the I.I. coconut shell that Yao Man made. <laughs> yeah, so again, just to keep that in historical perspective, what we try to do here on the show, that there had never been a fake idol played on Survivor history before, so this one with Jamie coming up would be the first, so it's a big deal here. All right, and the final question is there were four cultural dancers at the, at the feast with long flowing skirts. What did they wear on their feet? And Frosty is the only one that guesses they wore nothing. He had no clue. He just guessed, and he was correct. So Frosty, our hero, young Frosty, wins immunity. Well, didn't and didn't Jamie guess like, oh yes, long silk stockings with you know slipper <laughs> like bells. Jamie? Nobody, they're not wearing long yeah. silk stockings <laughs> to a cultural feast in the middle of China. Yeah. They wear. If you're gonna throw out a random shoes. guess. Let's not get that. Yeah, this specific, is not the Von Trapp family singers. <laughs> yes, no shoes. All right. So yeah. So. uh... So Frosty will be safe tonight, which means it will probably be Eric, uh, PG, or Jamie tonight. And PG tells us again, we need James tonight or we're screwed, which is hilarious thinking that they <laughs> might have James. So, okay, this is, where, this is where all the comedy in the episode starts up here, where James goes to Todd after the challenge and says, you know, the Jean Hoos found a blank piece of wood. They think it's an idol. <laughs> and Todd laughs. Oh, my God. I, I believe he calls it an immunization thing. Yeah, the immun immunization thing. There it is. Yeah, here it is. Here's the exact, exact quote. In fact, this is when James, first James is talking to Todd. He says, please let that happen. And Todd's like, how great would that be? And then James goes to Amanda and he's like, he says, one of them dumbasses have a blank board and they think it's an immunization thing. What's, what's funny, though, when you look about this is, you know, this is setting up a nice story with Jamie playing a fake idol, which I get and I'm on board with. But like, there's, you know, they're screwed either way. Like. If, if, if it actually is an immunity idol, then it throws the wrench in the plants. But, like, it isn't, and they're screwed anyway. And so, literally, this is just piling on Jamie at this point to the yeah. glee, to the absolute glee of James. Because, like, James is very gleeful about this, right? Like, we, we've already seen his confessional early in the episode with his realizing. And he tells Todd, and Todd's just kind of like, yeah, isn't that funny? And it's like, yeah, it's kind of funny. But you can see Todd's not, like, overly you know, gleeful about this. He's just like, haha, yeah, if they play a fake idol, that'd be, that'd be hilarious, right? And James is sort of talking to Amanda about this, and I know that Amanda's more muted on emotions, but even Amanda's just like, yeah, I mean, you know, if it's a fake idol, that's funny, but like, James finds this like the, the funniest thing on planet Earth, right? And he's talking to Todd, and he's talking to Amanda, and they're like, haha, yeah, yeah, that'd be pretty good. <laughs> well, again, I, I would argue that you're correct in this. It really wouldn't work that well. It's not that great a scene if we wouldn't have had the episode two episodes before where Jamie was, smug, was smiling like a smug dumbass, where she was just, she, you know, kind of the rise to power of Jamie just kind of being a villain and being smug. So it's, it's like a perfect three episode story arc, but the second part doesn't work without the first part. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I get that. You know, and, and it's fun to see Jamie play it, right? But yeah. these scenes were like, like James is just so, like, He's over the moon that this possibility could be done. It's just funny because we as an audience are like, yeah, that'd be, we want to see the Jamie try to play the idol. Like, I wanted to see Jamie try to play that board. We all did, right? But, like, James is like, isn't this going to be like, I mean, literally, you can just 
take a crap on everything Benny Hill ever did because this is going to be the funniest thing that's ever done in, in, in history ever. And, you know, like everyone around him is just kind of like, yeah, James, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say that the edit clearly the editors found it quite funny, too, because they give Jamie so much material to hang herself with. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Though James has some more key sound bites here in this scene where Amanda kind of lets it slip to James that, like, oh, you know, we didn't leave things off in the most perfect condition with Courtney. Her allegiances are a little flaky. She might possibly be working against us moving forward. And James says, if I would have known that skinny bitch would be that flaky, we would have got rid of her. She's supposed to be from yeah. New York. She's supposed to have some kind of city smarts, uh, which, again, I, you got to love when p- people from outside of New York make assumptions about pe- the culture from New York because uh, newsflash to a lot of people outside of New York, New Yorkers as a whole are not entirely smart. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Send all the hate mail to Mike Bloom, please. I didn't say that one. He's a New Yorker. He could he, he could say yeah, what I'm he wants. I'm a self-loathing oh, New Yorker. <laughs> it's great. I love it. All right. Yeah. So this is again where Courtney is having the problem where she's too close to people. Now she's super close to Frosty all of a sudden. It's one of those things that a lot of people don't remember this if they haven't watched the season in a while. But Courtney and Frosty are essentially a couple for a couple episodes here. Like they're super tight to the point that they're cuddling with each other and stuff on rewards. So yeah, Courtney's getting a little too close to these people that they have to vote out. So that's what, one of the things James is upset about. She needs to stop playing around. Is it love connection? <laughs> yes. <clears throat> All right, so, uh, yeah, we go into the vote. Todd is still telling Jean Robert. The final three is going to be Todd, Amanda, Jean Robert. And this is an interesting scene here where Jean Robert, and again, this kind of feeds into Todd having a negative edit here where, where Jean Robert says, All right, well, that's great, Todd, but I just want to point something out to you. If I get screwed down the road, and I don't think that's going to happen because I trust you, but if I do, I will hold you responsible. He goes, I'm not going to hold Amanda, you. I will lobby that jury so you don't win. You're never going to see it's a, a, a more angry juror. So this is one of those things where, again, not that it, it necessarily makes Todd look bad. It's just from a storyline, it's kind of hinting to the viewer, you know, Todd might not win down the road here. He's, people are going to hold him responsible because he has so much power. It's, it's an odd scene. And again, I would argue with this scene, I know, I know what Jay's argument is going to be on this one, but my argument is that, I think they're setting up the Todd is such a good player down the road, he's going to convert Jean Robert in the final tribal council. Oh, that's, that's, that's exactly yeah. what oh, they're yeah. setting this, up. This, this yeah. sets up, he shut up, him, totally. Yeah, no, the, yeah. this is not a negative Todd scene by any stretch of the imagination. This is just Jean Robert being a buffoon. Yeah. And, it, and, and I, it, I, it sets up final tribal council. Yeah, and I was just saying that as you're watching the season, as it's airing, this is the time and the point in the season where people were saying, oh, see, Todd's getting a negative edit. Todd's going to. Todd's going to lose it here. So I'm just pointing out that watching the season in retrospect versus watching it live, this scene plays totally differently if you know how the season ends. Yeah, right. At, but, at, but, at this juncture point, you could totally say, oh, yeah, I can see a situation now where, you know, there's a final three. Todd loses by one vote, and that one vote is Jean Robert. You know, it's almost, it's yeah. almost like akin to snakes and rats almost in a way that, yes, yes. The, that vote was more convoluted in Borneo and that some people almost voted anti-Sue as much as pro-Kelly. But it's like, oh, one angry juror basically spoils the vote, and it, with the with them turning against that one person, they lose out on a million bucks. Yeah. Don't but, you feel like this is just kind of like just pissing Todd off, like almost taunting him to vote for him more? Like part of me just feels yeah. like this just makes him want to get, want him to get John Robert out even more. Yeah, it's almost like a Sandra scene. Like, not only am I going to vote you out, but I'm you're going to turn around and vote for me at the end, John Robert. Like that's kind of Todd turns into Sandra here. In a way, but I think that more than anything else, whereas I, 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 well, I don't think that's apt because 
at no point, you know, and I love Sandra. You know, I love Sandra. But at no point did Sandra have like the voting agency that Todd did. Like Todd and Amanda are running that show mm-hmm. um, in, in a lot of ways. They're listening to people, but it's like Todd's just basically like, all right, John Robert, like Todd's got a plan of how he wants things to go along. Now, Todd's going to change his mind about 46,000 times about what he wants to do. But in none of those permutations is Jean Robert sniffing the end game in any way. So as Jean Robert's like, yeah, you better not vote me out because I'm going to hold you responsible. Todd's like, yeah, screw you. And yeah. but but also by the same token, Amanda's not getting scenes like this. Yeah, I agree. Um, Amanda is she's positive. She's part of the inner core of the voting decisions. But every voting decision that she's making, it's almost like, you know, when you think about like Boston, Robin, Amber, and, you know, for the most part, you know, Amber, you saw for, talking with Rob more than anyone else and Rob sort of dealing with, you know, the people around, but you did see Amber dealing with people. And it's like, you see Amanda deal with people some of the time, but like, there's a lot of these scenes where you're like, man, this is all on Todd. You know, Todd is the one that's kind of, you know, keeping all these disparate pieces together. So looking back when everyone's like, Amanda's getting this positive winner edit. It's like, is she? Yeah. Because I, I don't know. I mean, but let's even look at last episode, that frantic conversation right before Tribal Council. Todd says, let's get rid of John Robert. And Amanda, Amanda was says, the one that caught, talked him down. Yes, yeah, you are exactly. right there. And I think that's that's a big thing. I know the previously on since sort of being an indicator of how production sees the season. But I could totally see in an alternate world, Jeff throw out, but, you know, they went with Amanda's decision, and so Sharia went home. And we'll definitely see yeah. in a couple of episodes, Amanda's going to be the big impetus. She's making yes. the whole freaking apple pie in getting rid of yep. James. Yep. <laughs> I just think it's cute how how much gravity they give to the the storyline of Jean Robert or Jean Robert and Todd. It's really insignificant to the season as a whole, but you notice it's kind of a major storyline their their relationship. The the producers and editors just clearly like those two characters and like the way they interacted. So they just like there's no reason for the scene to be in the episode. Really, it's just I just think it's neat that they they just kind of built up the storyline, even though it doesn't mean anything other than Todd has a cool little jury response at the end. I think so. And I, and I know that jury responses get edited. You know, it's not like we're seeing the raw footage of all jury questions because, you know, that's a secret. Maybe people who are listening at home don't know this, but sometimes when you see a jury member come up and they address like one person and then they unload and they sit down, they probably addressed all three or all two of the final finalists, but the other two were not relevant. Right. So like you're not seeing raw footage of the jury's uh, questions to the survivors. You're only seeing what's relevant and what shapes sort of the story. But I feel like Jean Robert probably was very pointed toward Todd and his uh, final response. So it was like you kind of, you know, you didn't have to. You're, I, you're right, Mario. They didn't have to include the scene. But I think that they really wanted some context for the final Tribal Council uh, question that Jean Robert throws to Todd. So you kind of have to throw this in there because this is literally the basis of it. Yeah. So- while we have all of this going on, uh, Jean, who is playing a couple of steps behind, uh, what? PG, PG and Jamie get together and like, okay, we have a, we have a lot of really key information. Uh, Courtney doesn't like John Robert, so let's use that information. Well, let's point out that Courtney's kind of made it known that she just is going to keep voting for Jean Robert every time until he's gone. Now, I mean, I don't know if we see, we don't ever see that, but that's kind of how they talk about it. Like, she just wants Jean Robert gone. She's going to keep voting for him. So. In a way, I, I keep pulling out China versus Borneo comparisons, but they, it's kind of like Dr. Sean in a way. Like, well, we know what one person in the majority is going to do. Let's all pile onto that vote and go along with it. It's, it's kind of in a way what, what they're trying, what they're hoping to happen. Well, and to quote Rory, they're trying to find their little fissure, right? Like they're just trying to find the crack because they're down. How do you think Rory would have reacted with John Robert's black <laughs> fighting wind joke? Yeah, no, because it wasn't good. <laughs> 
it was racist. But like the thing is, is that you know it's six four going into this merge, and I guess Frosty makes it seven three really. But like let's let's go back to six four. They have to pull someone over. So like you know you're saying here's PG being terrible, telling James I'm relying on you. You know blah blah blah. But it's like. James has been over on their side. Not that he's like the most disloyal person or I'm ready to flip, but you know, she, she has access. She had access to James, right? So she's trying to work on James. And then they see that Courtney doesn't like John Rivera. Like they're just trying to find something, right? Other than just, well, let's vote for Todd and hope for the best. You know, it's like they're trying to figure out a way, any way that, you know, Phalong's going to screw this up. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. you know, as, I, as, as mean as Todd's, reference that Paul made at the very beginning of this podcast of, you know, Jamie's, <laughs> Jamie's one, we're all pedaling bikes and Jamie's the smallest one in the back trying to catch up. I think they are definitely trying their best here. I think it's just makes it a little even sadder because these guys are just playing like three days behind in terms of information that Faye Long already knows about. Yeah. And they're not stupid. Yeah. Yeah. They all seem like very bright players. That's the thing. They just don't have the information. And yeah, it's, and this is a, another combo again, Jamie, Jamie has so much material where the editor just let her hang herself with, where this is where she pulls Todd aside and says, I know something about the idol, Todd. Keep me around tonight and I'll tell you what I know tomorrow. I will leave you a riddle that you must solve. <laughs> Hear me now and believe me later, Todd. <laughs> Wow, we went into an Boy, SNL everyone sketch. watching is just like, oh, look at this little Jessica Simpson running out in the jungle. She's so dumb. Yeah, I mean, she tries that, and then, you know, it, it's tough because they're trying, right? Like, she's trying, right? And even, we're not there yet, and I'm not trying to get us there yet, but even just playing the idol, they're just, they're trying. They just tried everything, and it's it's fun to kind of laugh and go, ah, ha, ha, bless their heart. They tried, and they failed, and, you know, we don't like Jamie anyway because, you know, we were meant not to like Jamie, but by the same token, you can't really fault them in all these sorts of things. They, they tried. You can't. And I especially like Jamie again. I kind of feel bad making fun of her on the funny one fifteen Cause after she plays the idol, like she doesn't, she's like not that embarrassed about it. She's not mad. She's like, Oh, well it was, it was a try. It was a good try. <laughs> like she's kind of laughing about it. So like it's, uh, that's why I don't feel too horrible. Like she doesn't take it that personally, but yeah, she is trying. Although again, they just have Jamie saying quotes like, I figured out I'm really good at playing stupid. <laughs> I'm not as dumb as I look, and maybe they're figuring that out now. So it's like, man, they're just giving it's like the Roger Sexton episode here. They're giving Amy Jamie every bit of rope to hang herself with on the way. Out. Well, like you know, and then she tells Frosty, right? She's like, Frosty, I've got a hidden immunity. And Frosty's like, awesome. No, you don't. <laughs> I mean, to, to quote Courtney, that probably got cut during this episode. Stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so what's going to happen at Tribal Council here tonight? Yeah, Jean Robert is going to vote for PG. Courtney's going to vote for Jean Robert. At least they all think so. And then James says, those dumbasses are idiots. Like, they're not, no one's working together. James is like, James at this point is already thinking about the end game. He's like, we just need to stick together. Like, yeah, I don't know if he's actually said the Apple quote yet, which he will say many times down the road. But yeah, he's not there. But he's like, why are these people not going with the plan? They're idiots. And he says, Jean Robert is stupid. Right. And, you know, but it, but it's again, looking at this without our James rose colored glasses, because we're all in love with James. And we like James. James is sort of playing this greedy game that's going to get him in trouble, obviously, down the road. But James is like, I'm in possession of two idols. So what you can use them all the way up to four. Is that the probably yeah. the way it goes? So James is basically like, I need to survive till six. 
You know what yeah. I mean? Because at that point, <laughs> then you just play an idol. If you don't have it, play an idol, yeah. right? And so, and, I mean, it's final three, so I'm assuming it would be up to five, just like what happened with Fiji. Okay, five, right? So it's like James is all about, hey, you know, I need to get to this magic number, and then all of a sudden I'm just completely golden from here on out. Yeah. So, you know, that that's how he's looking at it. Like, <laughs> I've got this big alliance, and it's, you know, he's going to talk about this biting the apple thing later, but James is literally just, I'm going to hang on to these idols and just play these super greedy you know, if I can get to this number, then I'm then I'm just set. So that's all his his mindset is at this point. Yeah. Come on, guys, let me get to six. That's yeah. all we have to do. Let me get to six. It's, it's, it's the it's the core conundrum of Survivor, which is trying to convince people to do things that aren't in their best interest, but are in your best interest. And James is able to do so for a couple of rounds before things turn on him. Yeah. All right. So we go to Tribal Council. We're waiting for this big Jamie moment here, where. Uh, it's a great line. Again, James just has zingers left and right, and they're almost always directed at Jean Robert, the best ones, where where Tribal Council James says Jean Robert talks too much. He goes, but I understand. Jean Robert's a card player. He's not used to being out in the sun. <laughs> I just love the thought process behind that zinger. James will go a long way to get to the... To get Is this the also joke. where he basically says, you know, you're a poker player, like people, you know... Bring you bring food, food and put it in your like, mouth. Yeah, put it in your mouth and help you chew it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and again, I would say, again, that's the most underrated thing about China is just Jean Robert and James like you know, bickering with one another. It's have, always have, funny. I mean, we have some more Courtney Jean Robert stuff here, too, where Jean Robert talks about, like, hey, me and James are threats because we're big physical guys. Nobody's going for, I don't know, Courtney because she's not a threat. He misappropriates the term bottom two or three to refer to the fact that Courtney would actually go far and is not at the bottom of the alliance. But Courtney spins it into saying, no, Jean Robert is just trying to paint me as the little blonde girl as a threat. Though, again, the two of them will end up voting together this episode. <laughs> yes. All right, so we're going to get to the actual vote. Do you have any more any more quotes or anything before we get to the playing of the piece of wood? Um, Jeff, Jeff Probst's dick moment here. Uh, Jeff asks Amanda, like, oh, what are the tribe dynamics like? And Jeff, Amanda just says it's fun. And then Jeff, like, harasses her about it for a good 30 seconds. <laughs> Good answer, Amanda. It's like a family feud. Good answer. Good answer. Which I'm surprised they leave it in. But, you know, that's that's also the behind the scenes of, of Tribal Council is that Jeff gets mad at them. And, you know, we, we've, we've talked on, the, on this podcast many, many times in the past about like, oh, like like there's the rumor or the maybe it's not rumor, but the fact that like apparently they did like the whole Marquesas final Tribal Council like uh-huh. again because Jeff was like that was lame. You guys didn't, you know, lay, lay into each other. But that's what Jeff does. If you guys don't know that, like they all sit down, Jeff asks them a question and, you know, people give those cagey responses like, hey, who are your friends on this tribe? I'm friends with everyone. And then he goes to everyone and they're like, yeah, I'm friends with everyone. Then he just basically he will keep asking questions and keep going through it and he'll lay into them and basically say, look, I'm going to keep, you know, asking you things until I get what I need. And so eventually things sort of break down. So the fact that he's sort of laying into Amanda for giving a, what's the tribe dynamics? It's fun. She's just not trying to give anything away, right? But Jeff's not having it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple, we've talked about this before, there's a couple players over the years that Jeff just didn't like because they wouldn't give his answers. Two that pop into my head for he didn't like the way they dealt with him was Danny in uh, Guatemala and then Brian Heideck in Thailand. Brian's answers were always so diplomatic. And he could not get Brian to say, like, zingers against people. So it's just, he just does not like players that won't play that game with him. All right, so we get to the final vote. And, uh, you know, all the votes are for Jamie over on uh, Jean-Hu for the most part. And he says, all right, we're going to tally the votes. And this is where Jamie stands up and says, 
Uh, Jeff, I have something here. It might be, and she's kind of embarrassed. You can even tell she's kind of embarrassed. It might be immunity. I don't know. <laughs> and she walks over and hands it to him. And then she sits down and kind of smiles at everyone, which is the, the great little capper on the well, scene. You have, to, you have to watch in the back of the frame John Robert's face because this guy looked like he just dropped the biggest shit in his pants that I'm assuming <laughs> people would come, you know, change his pants out if he was in a in a <laughs> casino playing poker because this guy just realized like oh crap if this is legitimate i might actually be going home because let's remember all the rest of the phalongs know about the idol except for jean robert this is a complete blind yeah. side to him he just dropped a two or pulled a two in an olympic game yeah a two out of the seven two <laughs> yes yeah so uh jeff says yes uh this uh, uh the rules of survivors say if uh, someone plays an immunity idol then uh, all votes cast against them are thrown out or whatever. And he says, but this is not immunity idol. And does he toss it into the fire? Yeah, this starts the, the, the mm-hmm. convention of Jeff throwing all fake immunity idols into the fire. <laughs> yes. I wonder so if that was like a pre, premeditated move or if that was just like Jeff Probst feeling it, like when he said, what up, if that just kind of came out. <laughs> <laughs> what up, Wood? Take that. <laughs> yeah, that was one of his classic probe zingers. <laughs> I wish like I wish he had another zinger with that. Like he throws in the fire and is like deuces, <laughs> like, with a little explosion, explosion noise. This yeah. boat got a little hotter. <laughs> burn, baby, burn. Yeah, I like that one. Burn, baby, burn. <laughs> Do you think this is my question? Do you think Jamie knew at that point, like even before Jeff announces, but even when she played it? Do you think? What do you think the percentage level was that Jamie thought that that was an actual hidden immunity idol? All right, I can tell you this. I can tell you this from all the hate mail I received on the Funny 115. Apparently, Jamie said many, many times in interviews that she knew it was not a real idol, and she figured, oh, what the hell, I might as well just play it anyway right. at that yeah, so point. So she totally as, knew. Same yeah. level as Eliza from next season. Right. Like, it's it's a, yeah. no, no chance. Like, yeah. I, I didn't read those interviews or get all that hate mail, Mario. So thank you for deflecting some hate mail. <laughs> that That's great. But yeah. um, <laughs> I, I took all the hit. Yeah, that's what it just seems like more than anything else, which which is sort of the weird capper to the whole Jamie is a villain and, you know, we get her comeuppance because it just seems like when she's playing this idol, like, you know, it just it's like you watch it and you're like, she in no way does she think this is going to play out. Yeah, you know, she's like, embarrassed. She, she's sort of embarrassed to play it. But like I said, you might as well play it. What What's what's your other alternative? Not play it, you know, because yeah. the same result either way. Yeah. Although I should point out, in my defense, in her final words, she even says, well, I played the immunity idol and I, it didn't work. Like, it, she kind of sells it a little bit, like maybe thought, she thought it might have been in her final words. But yeah, apparently, from what I, I've heard, that she clearly knew it was not an idol. She knew she was screwed and she figured, oh, I might as well just play it, see what happens. So I would say the general consensus between the four of us about Jamie in general, so we can kind of eulogize her a bit, is that, I mean, I think this arc was fun in terms of a story, but Jamie is not, you know, one of the biggest villains in Survivor history. She seems like a very nice girl who, you know, did the strategically correct thing and maybe bragged about it a little too much. But she's not this, you know, she's not Jerry Manthe level at this point. No, she has a good three three episode arc and that's about it. But yeah, she's, I mean, she ended up with Eric. How bad could she be? She has to be a nice person. Well, and, and what she what she is, is she's sort of the final... Jean who uh, uh, sort of threat in the sense that, you know, Eric's a threat in the sense that he's the nicest, probably the nicest guy ever to play the game. Right. But Eric is not winning. And and you sort of know that there's no way anyone's going to let him near the end. But also Eric has never shown any sort of agency. And it's like the people on Jean who that showed agency 
more than anything else was Jamie and PG. And the thing is, is that we've gotten all of this PG is annoying and PG is just strategically horrible at this game. So it was sort of like the only person left on John who that any had any ounce of sort of strategic danger to her was, or to them was Jamie. And so with her leaving here at the merge, that's basically it for John who GG, you know, at some, you know, they're going to play out in certain ways and obviously they're not going to get pagonged as the season's going to go. But it's like John who's any sort of strategic, strategy that John who had basically went out with Jamie. So basically this is, I mean, it was already sort of Phalong's game at this point, but now it's just basically let's concentrate on the dynamics within Phalong. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, Jamie seems like a perfectly nice person. I've never heard anybody ever say anything bad about her outside the game. And, and I feel bad that I've written stuff about her. Again, I'm a comedian. I try to make people laugh and try to make, you know, funny things out of writing and and uh, yeah, so I feel bad if I've taken digs at her that were kind of cheap shots. I don't think she was dumb at all. She's clearly not dumb at all. She's again, I, the comparison I make is Heidi. I think she's quite bright. She just is not particularly aware of how she comes off to people sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> but when, yeah, she's when Jamie, definitely not on the. Go yeah, ahead. when when well, when Jamie played that piece of wood, I think she instantly knew she was going home. <laughs> she instantly yes. Yeah, she only had really one or two things to save her that night, and hello, one of them is in the fire now. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, so yeah. I, I'm kind of surprised that we never you know, saw a second run from Jamie, considering um, all she brought to the table in her seven episodes on the show. Yeah, again, she's uh, of characters that are only in the show for seven episodes. She was a major character. But let's also remember our attorneys from China, Amanda and James, which Amanda is a little questionable, but she at least made it Shut to the finals. Shut your mouth. James, <laughs> James, fan favorite prize winner. PG got voted on to Survivor Second Chances, she made it to the, the penult- penultimate episode. I think Jamie was just one of those people that, like, kind of got passed over in the initial Heroes versus Villains run, and then I don't know if there's enough of an online fan base for her that producers were looking to really bring her on for a future season. I could be wrong. She might be... We might see her come back for all she know, all we know, but she's also now, like, married and is a mother, so she might... For her, the Survivor game might be behind her at this point. Yeah, they got married. She, again, for people who don't know, she ended up with Eric from the season. They got married and they had a kid relatively quickly. So, again, if you're a young mom with young kids like that, you're not going to go out and play Survivor unless you're odd like Sierra. But, uh, but yeah, that's that, that. That was probably her thing. It was just more real reality at that point. Like, nah, I'm done with that. I'm a I'm a I'm a mom, stay at home mom. I don't need to do that. Yeah, I mean. We always assume with with people on Survivor that they'd all go back and do it in a heartbeat. And for most of them, that, that is true, you know, and, and there are people that have wanted to go back and do it in a heartbeat and they've gotten the opportunity to do so. And there are people that want to go back in a heartbeat and have not gotten the opportunity to do so. And by the same token, there are people that have gone back that are like, yeah, I could take it or leave it. And there are people that, that don't. And, and, and I think that that's a tough thing for people to think about is, you know, Jamie should have maybe gotten a second go at Survivor, but they weren't really doing all-star seasons just like they did all-star one. Like we have next season after China, we're going to have Micronesia, which is like half all-stars. And then they have heroes versus villains down the line, which a was sort of a themed season or say pigeonhole a theme, but also heroes versus villains. Wasn't just, you know, all-stars was the all-stars from the first seven seasons of survivor only. Right. And then with heroes versus villains in season 20, it's not, Oh, it's all stars from seasons nine through nineteen. It's it's from everything. So like your pool of survivors comes bigger, and there are people like Rupert that you're gonna bring back 
and and stuff like that. So so even people that were on the original All Stars are being brought back for sort of in a sense the second All Star season. So your chances of being brought back sort of diminish over time, which we sort of can't forget. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, I'm just happy Jamie was a Survivor character, and I thought she added a lot to the episode. So I'm I'm glad she was there, and she made uh, the season better. So thank you for being there, Jamie. Well, and I think that it's a good juxtaposition, because Jamie's going out to, and then when we get to this next episode, this is John Robert's episode. And it's like, I enjoyed both characters this season, Jamie and John Robert. And I am so glad that they were on my TV screen. But Jamie is someone where I would be like, oh, they, sh- they could come back and play and I wouldn't mind. Whereas like Jean Robert, I don't want him to play ever again. And it's not because I don't necessarily enjoy Jean Robert. I mean, Jean Robert doesn't seem like someone that I would you know hang out with in real life. But I loved Jean Robert on TV. But I liked like he that's got to be like a one season thing, mm-hmm. right? Like his character needs to be contained with the one you know, he, he was he was the Icarus that flew too close to the sun. Like we can't we can't <laughs> you repeat. Let this. him go in the sun. <laughs> He's used to sitting in the in the playing cars, but get people chewing his food for him. Yeah, well, you know, someone had to flap his wings for him. Right. By the way, okay, I have one rebuttal to that: to not wanting to see Jean Robert again. I want to see Sandra meets Jean Robert right there. I just want to see Sandra's reaction to Jean Robert. I, then I, I can die happy. I mean, I agree with Jay though. In my opinion, this might be a contentious opinion among the listeners, but I personally feel like I don't necessarily want to see somebody back on Survivor unless they're going to bring something different to their game. As much as I may like people like Abby Maria, for example, you have to admit Abby Maria played a pretty close game in, the, in, the, in her first two attempts here. Jean Robert, I feel like, would either do the exact same thing or he'd have a, a law of diminishing returns and he'd even do a lesser version of his game. Or maybe they edit him to try to be more strategic, which is definitely less fun. So we'll definitely dive into his, his boot episode here. But I, I'm excited <laughs> to agree with Jay here. Even if Sandra's involved, I'd much rather see this guy as sort of like a one-hit wonder. Yeah, well, I'm yeah, just mostly I saying I want to see more too. Sandra. <laughs> yeah, I was just mostly saying I want to see more Sandra. <laughs> That's not really about John Robert. I just want I want Sandra with Gene, like my two favorite survivors. You know, <laughs> what if they hooked up and became buddies like peas and carrots? Oh God! Oh God! Don't put me in that kind of moral dilemma. Where I why have is to actually, Keith being oh, mentioned here? Sorry, I, I thought I was saying rice and beans. I don't know why Keith came up instead. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Sandra and it's Sandra and Gene and then Keith's wife. Catherine <laughs> <laughs> was that her name? Catherine Koivu or something like that? Yeah, sweet. Peas, cares, whatever the hell her name is. That's right. I know Paul knew her name. All right. So we're, I like we've already eulogized Jean Robert, and it's not even his episode yet. <laughs> well, so Rest like, in peace, Jean Robert. Yeah, well, let's talk st- about Jean Robert. He starts off this episode because, again, he was very shocked by the fact that he could have gone home. He's very emotionally stricken by it. I mean, again, we have another fantastic James ragging on Jean Robert thing here where Jean Robert, first of all, refers to himself in the third person, which hopefully he didn't do too much out there, or at least the editors relieved us of him doing that, because that would have gotten extremely annoying. But he says, you know, Jean Robert thought he was going home tonight, man, and James just goes, so what, you want a hug? Thank you. This is where Eric Eric is trying to get into the shelter, and Jean Robert won't move, so Eric has nowhere to sleep. <laughs> yeah, and Jean Robert's like, uh, what does he say? Move your ass. Move your ass so the boy can go to bed. You want a hug? Look at Jean Robert getting some nuts over here. I, I love James taking digs at Jean Robert again. My favorite part of the season, I think. All right, so this is where we start to see the downfall of James starting here, where Amanda you know, has a little confessional where she says, yeah, that was great. We got rid of Jamie, but I'm a little worried about James. He's got two idols, and he's going to win a lot of immunities. Like That seems very dangerous to me. So the, the seeds are being planted right here, apple seeds, if you will. 
I'm just gonna say this is totally random. I do want to point out uh, the credit sequence for the first time ever in Survivor is completely mm. different here. Where yeah. we, we've had it truncated a couple times in Exile Island and Cook Islands. Here they've chopped it a little bit to only include people that were on the merge tribe. So you see, like High Dai Fung, the merge tribe, in, in sort of the lower third, and then they'll show only the people that are left in the game. And they'll do this for Micronesia. Then I think they don't do it at all ever again. But it was weird to see production oh. kind of work with this. They didn't. They didn't do the short version. They just instead said, "Okay, let's just get rid of people who are gone from the game and only show those who are left." Okay, let's just. We're going for history here for historical reality TV purposes. The the big three reality shows at the time. I, I never saw Big Brother, but like The Mole, The Amazing Race, and Survivor. The Amazing Race always kept all the players in the cast, and they still do that to this day. Where they even if players are out of the game, they're still in the cast. Survivor did all the players who were in the cast until this episode, I guess, where they just put it the players left in the game, or just the jury members, I guess, at that point. But the mole was the one season that always did that. When a player was eliminated, they'd take them out of the credits. Oh, so Mario, was bless the... your heart. Yeah, what? Bless your heart that you're like, you, you're like, the mole is big three of reality shows. I love the mole just as much as you do, but that is so not true. Well, I mean, That's mostly me two, shitting on Big Brother because I hate Big Brother. 2007, the mole was definitely not a big deal. Big Brother... Though it does it sort of, um, it, 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 it does it now. It used to be that instead of they'd block off the person's name and picture and instead they'd have footage of them leaving the house. So they were still in the intro. It was just more so showing their humiliation in their exit from the house and losing the game. All right. Well, let me just point out that the mole was first to do that. Yeah. So there you go. Dude, I'll go back and watch the mole, everybody. It's a great show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we get to the reward challenge in this episode. This one's a fun one. This is where you have two teams of four and they're dumping buckets of water into the other team's boat trying to sink person. And this one is, is fantastic, mostly for Courtney. This is a, Courtney is sassy and a, a, trouble, a, little, a trouble player, where she talks back to probes in this one, one of my favorite little Courtney moments. And, and if I recall, the, win, the winning uh, tribe on this one, the winning team, gets to go to an ancient village and eat an authentic Chinese meal. And no mention of what type of toilets are in this village. <laughs> Eastern toilets. Surely Eastern from now on. And we talk, especially in Modern Survivor, that one of the things we miss sometimes with this, with this extreme amount of team challenges are they do schoolyard pickups, but they almost never show them. China was the one season I've always remembered that always showed their schoolyard pickups. And I don't think it really was to show any sort of like, oh, strategic choices. I think it was just maybe to play out moments like, oh, James almost immediately becomes the first pick in basically every team reward challenge. Yeah. And again, that's good to know. I'm always surprised they don't show that stuff on Survivor. But this also shows uh, for the fact that the, the schoolyard pick goes, and because there's nine players left in the game, one person is not going to be picked, and so it's the whole, they are not going to be picked, they're not going to participate in the reward, and so they're not eligible to go on sort of the reward thing. And what happens is, is that the, the two people that are remaining to become the last pick are Courtney and Denise, and uh, PG and Frosty and Eric sort of are thinking, and they sort of go with the strategy of, well, let's, let's pick Courtney because she's lighter. And they're going with the sort of lighter strategy. And, you know, Denise is going to get some, some traction here because Denise is not picked. And then this is sort of starting this Denise is an outsider and, you know, not only in the game but in life. And it, this is going to be sort of starting Denise's journey. Like we've gotten a little bit more, a little bit about Denise before, but not a ton. But we're going to start to ramp up with Denise. And it sort of starts here. But also during the challenge, I feel like the editors showed a lot of things where, like, picking Courtney was a horrific pick. Mm -hmm. And they really, I think, highlighted. And it's not subtle. It's not like, oh, you really have to look for it. But it's like, 
I think that they're really showing that, you know, they were like, well, let's go with Courtney because she's light. And it's like, yeah, wrong move, guys. Yeah. Yeah, for those of who haven't seen this challenge in the while, in a while, basically Courtney sits in the boat and she's too weak to really paddle the boat anywhere. She kind of goes wherever the current goes and it takes her right into the corner and everyone just dumps water right into a bucket from like four feet away. It's like for, Courtney's absolutely terrible in the boat and it's one of those things where she's just screaming. They're all just dumping water right in her boat and Courtney's like, I hate you. I hate all of you. And a great moment here where Probes goes, Courtney has to get away from them. And Courtney's like, oh, Jeff, shut up. <laughs> It's good. The, the strategy of this challenge is, yeah, basically they're in like a boat and the boat is sort of enclosed in this square structure in the water. And then the other three members on this team that are not in the one boat, they basically have buckets and they have to throw water in the boat to sink the boat. And the person in the boat, it, as they explain sort of going in, is that they need to paddle around and then bail the water out so they stay afloat. But really, the strategy here is, is that you sort of have to keep the boat right in the middle of the square so that they have to throw their bucket their water from their bucket into the boat and it's harder to do so right like that's the strategy it's not really the you know stay afloat and bail out it's basically stay so that it's really hard to get water in the boat but the problem is is that courtney can't keep the boat in the middle right so she keeps drifting to the edge and then they just dump the water in well the other problem is that apparently you switch out between rounds so it's the first team to two wins and again they might do multiple rounds in uh, unedited versions that we don't know about but the problem now is okay courtney couldn't paddle a boat now can't courtney can't throw a bucket of water past like one foot i think reed donaldson is better at throwing water than courtney is at this point reed so one of the problems is that like now you have basically one person taken out of your bucket throwing brigade so now i think frosty is in the boat for the other team and they get squashed on again because you have Courtney trying to meekly throw water, and then on the other team you have John Robert and James just, like, hurling water all over Frosty. Yeah, the challenge is not close. <laughs> it, it really isn't. <laughs> yeah. And they, they sort of show, and it's funny because they show, you know, they show Denise looking sort of forlorn like I didn't get picked over there, and then they show, they keep constantly showing just Courtney being bad at this challenge, which, I, you know, Courtney has not shown herself to be like, a, a, a really physical threat, but they don't go out of their way to highlight how bad Courtney is in challenges. They do that with people in, in other seasons. Like, what was her name in uh, Caramo and uh, Sherry? Like, oh. you know, uh, Probst yelled at her, like, on every challenge, right? And it's not like that. But in this challenge, it wasn't so much Jeff yelling. It was just the fact that they just kept showing Courtney. They would show her, try to throw her water and showing it clearly not get remotely close to uh, the boat that I think Amanda was in. And so you saw that, and then you just saw that Courtney just couldn't paddle the boat. Like they, they, were, they made very well sure that we knew that Courtney was terrible at this challenge and she was a bad pick. All right, so the winner of this challenge by a blowout, Jean Robert, James, Amanda, and Todd. They win round one, they win round two, and they get to go to the ancient village and get an authentic Chinese meal. And there's some good comedy in this scene where they go to the, they're eating in the village, or this, it's like a, 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 almost an abandoned building. They're inside a building and they're getting served and they get the clue. And Jean Robert reads it, and this is like idle clue number five. And Jean Robert's like, I didn't know there were idle clues one through four. He's like, this is big, guys. So, so Jean Robert's reading the clue. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, do you, do you think the producers needed to do this? Because, I mean, we don't see idle clues at any other rewards for the rest of the season. And the, the gimmick behind the idols in the first place was, oh, you only find out about them through either word of mouth or through this tube that we give out to people who get kidnapped. Do you think the producers were trying to, like, throw a bone here to John Robert or anyone else who didn't know about the idols at this point? 
More than likely. I mean, you, it's your job as a producer to stir up drama, so why not? Just tell everyone there's an idol now. Yeah, and they they probably had this in place even before the teams. Like, I don't think they, they saw the teams and went, oh, hey, check it out. This is a good idea. Because didn't they give them the thing before they left? Or Well, Jeff just, Jeff just said there's a, there's a note before this there's, challenge started. There's a note, right? So at this point, I, they, know, they clearly know, production clearly knows that James has both hidden immunity idols, right? Like, both hidden immunity idols are found by someone. So giving them all the clues at this point... D- doesn't matter who's out there, right? Like, they give them the clues. At least it's something to talk about. But maybe it isn't, like, because PG, Frosty, Eric, and Courtney, like, if that team wins and they go out there, you know, I think, you know, they've got some clues as to what's going on because they saw that the thing was down and Jamie played. <laughs> but, like, Jean Robert is just, you know, he was completely floored, as was seen in the previous episode. Like, when Jamie w- was going to play an idol, like, you, you talk about how John Robert was, like, going to shit his pants because he's like, wait a minute, a hidden idol? What? <laughs> I like that idol clue number five is very specific. It says, it's the stupid bats above the freaking thing. <laughs> did Todd write the clue? Did he just scrawl it in there? <laughs> he did, yes. And Amanda wrote, it's fun. Uh, and that's, this is when John Robert refers to it as the American immunity idol. That's what yeah. But first we have the little another exchange between James and John Robert where uh, they're at the rest, it's, you know, this ancient Chinese village. And John Robert's like, hey, James, you think they know how to make wontons here? And Jay, again, I just cannot get over the way James puts words together. I love the, the, the way he phrases the sentences. I do believe this place has been here for a thousand years. I think they made, it might have made a wonton or two. What you think? <laughs> it's just, it's just, the bard could not have written it any better. <clears throat> and I just wrote, wow, this meal looks amazing. <laughs> They're getting some good food at that one. Yeah, I mean, the, we should also just say that across the board, the rewards for this season are just like impeccable i think we talked before about how we really liked the volcano visit in palau and the hot air balloon bride in um in africa and jellyfish lake in palau i almost feel like china as a whole blows all those out of the water because you're going to an abandoned village we talked about shaolin temple they're going to be going to the great wall of freaking china i mean these are just amazing things to go to that is really once in a lifetime yeah, I mean, and again, this is just a meal. I mean, it's not much different than stew and root beer in Palau, which is the one I always make fun of. But it's like an authentic Chinese meal in an authentic Chinese place. It's, they're making good use of the culture. I just like that. And there's another quote in here. I don't remember why he says it, but there's some, in, there's some quote where Jean Robert says he remembers something or he's trying to think back to something. And James says, you better jog your memory, homie. So that's another good James quote. Yeah, and then James John Robert says, "Yeah, I can't believe that there's an American immunity idol." Or <laughs> they all make fun of him about that. All right, so we have that reward. Then we go back to camp, and Denise is pissed she didn't get to go to reward, and she gives us this is I like to call this the sprint fan favorite player of the season quote, where <laughs> she says, "I'm fat. I didn't get picked. It's the story of my life. I'm always last. They never include me in stuff." Which, if you pay attention, that's whoever gives that quote will always win the fan favorite award. Well, so um, just keep that in mind. Even though James wins the one this time, <laughs> wasn't Denise? Was she was right there with him, or she they gave her some? Award? Yeah, but they they gave her a special award at the end because she was so popular, right? Well, the money. No, yeah, we'll she, get well, there. because she got we'll fired. Get <laughs> we'll get, we'll get, we'll there. get there. All right, but okay. Well, the, the point is, she was very popular. She's right there in the running for the fan favorite. And it's just because of quotes like that, the audience will always buy into the buy into them. And PG and Eric were pointing and laughing at her skirt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So Denise is saying, well. I don't get picked. I'm not really part of the four. And, and they're back at camp. And PG's like, well, there's five of us here right now. So how about we five vote out that four? Oh my, God, my brother and I, we, that's like our favorite PG quote. We always will say to each other is, well, there's five of us here. 
it's like <laughs> such like like such like not smooth like trying really hard to like throw that out there but just comes across like super like just yeah. like really transparent what she's trying to do there you know paul and his brother are big reality tv fans when they have a unanimous favorite pg quote well let's also remember yeah. these are the two guys that had an association with cecilia from cook islands <laughs> right <laughs> This, this is also a guy who can't drop a Back to the Future reference or know what's going on with The Office. Like, all he watches is Survivor. So when he's like, I have this obscure quote with my brother about Survivor, it's like, of course you do. Yeah, let's Thank talk more you, about Re- 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 shots from Survivor Australia. <laughs> what's your second favorite PG quote? Now I'm curious. Um, second favorite PG quote would be... Um, check the spreadsheet, check the spreadsheet. <laughs> no, it, it probably is the the line about uh, "I'm good at Sudoku." Did you read off your PG quote wall for that one? <laughs> yes, I, I had it handy here. I just pulled it out. And also, P, PG tries to smooth her way out of this like rather hard approach by saying, "Like, hey, Denise and Courtney, if you take John out, John Robert before us, we'll give you one of our votes in the end." So she's trying to pull an Adam Gentry here, which is not really shooting for the stars there, PG. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> oh, if you take out John Robert before us, boss. Oh my gosh, can you do my favorite PG quote in the Adam voice? The the five of us here, boss. <laughs> Lovely. In defense of PG, and and I, and I don't want to do this so much, but like I said, they were trying, and I think that. As much as this season sort of shows the struggles with maintaining uh, a majority alliance, I think that this season really shows, I think through Jamie and PG, for some point, just the struggles of being on the outside with uh, against an alliance that isn't, for the most part, breaking. You know, um, they don't pagong them because they do cut out John Robert and they're going to cut out James and stuff like that. But at no point is PG or Eric sort of like, yeah, you're our trusted, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're on the outs. They're, they're, they're literally just grasping at straws. So, like, and, and the thing is, is that we've, we've established that PG is not the smoothest when it comes to uh, uh, social interactions. So she, could she have approached this a lot smoother? Yeah, maybe. If it was someone else, could, could maybe a, a, an alliance be rallied? Yeah, maybe. But it's PG, so it's not. But by the same time, she's trying. She's just trying, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's been five of us here for 30 years. Oh, my God. Oh, I was going to drop a Bruce reference when we get to the karate. Now this has been ruined. You've soiled it. <laughs> well, that's classless, chums. There's five of us here. Mario, right. he's just wasting all of his impressions now. Just just let him go. I'm just he, trying to think back. I don't remember all this stuff. He, I know Rupert. I'm he, saving he, Rupert. He, he did his Bruce. He's, he did his Rory. He's already talked about his ORG Survivor Okinawa. Like, we're just ticking the box. Like, at some point, Survivor Grease will come up, and it'll be great. Yeah, did I tell you about, there's a scene in Hawaii that was just like this. <laughs> there's a fanfic scene where, like in Survivor China, uh, everyone argues about James eating too much food. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, uh, this is, we have a great scene here where they go back to camp at night, and John Robert doesn't sleep all night because he knows there's an idol out there now. So, he's walking around all night looking for one. And... He goes to the the, uh, the little uh, archway, and he sees the wooden plaque up there. And he's like, I wonder if that's it, which is hilarious, because didn't Jamie just play one of those goddamn things last night, and it wasn't the idol? <laughs> well, I guess the other one up there must be one. <laughs> yeah, like Tobias. Well, it never works, but in this case, it might work. <laughs> but what if it did? <laughs> yeah. So I'm just laughing. I'm watching the scene and writing in my notes. Didn't he just see that she played that last night? Wasn't he at that tribal council? 
So yeah, James or John Robert pulls off the wooden thing and thinks, "Oh, stash this. This might be." He's, I think, if you recall, he stashes all of them. He takes a bunch and throws them in the woods, and like, "This is my stash of idols." <laughs> well, how about this one, Jeff? All right, how about this one? <laughs> Which I love that. Like every season has had like one hidden meteor for the most part, or like you know, in Fiji they had the two. They had one buried at each camp, but you know, it's it's been two max, right? Like two max out there, and then John Robert just pulls four things down. And he's like, "Well, I got four. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm a I am a survivor. Got four immunity idols. That's funny. <laughs> He's gonna start playing like blackjack dealer at tribal council. Hit me, Jeff. Here you go. Start putting down these idols. All right. So uh, yeah, and this is where we get a little more in the downfall of James, where Todd is kind of pissed. He tells us, you know, I'm kind of pissed that James has two idols and he never offered to give one back. So he's like, let's blindside him soon. So yeah, this James downfall is is already building now. Todd and Amanda are both on the trail of it. Well, but what it shows is it's something that we haven't sort of dealt with before on Survivor is that James has two hidden immunity idols in his possession. And that's a big deal. And it's it's something that, that's going to be there, and, and, and especially in uh, way further seasons from Survivor China. But we're going to get into more advantages in Survivor, such as, you know, double votes and things like that. And it's just the fact that, you know, people are already sort of starting to wrap their head around someone may have an hidden immunity idol, right? But here, James has two hidden immunity idols. That is a gigantic target. And so James is laughing because he's like, I've got two idols. And he's sitting there going like, hey, if I make it till a certain number, then I'm set. But the problem with having such a massive advantage, and I mean, having a one hidden immunity idol is a massive advantage in the game, but having two is just an astronomical advantage. And it's sort of showing that in this game, if you've got an astronomical advantage, it could actually be the worst thing to ever happen to you. The other thing that, that's uh, notable about this scene is that, you know, Todd says, all right, we got to blindside James. And Amanda's like, I'm a little worried about Todd. He flip-flops at the drop of a hat based on who, who he wants to vote out next. So there's a little distrust between Todd and Amanda starting up here. All right, so we go to the immunity challenge in the Jean Robert episode here. Next thing we have is that uh, this is when we have to balance on the little snake thing. Which I like this. I love it. It's it's, it's again, a they dragon. Okay, fine, the dragon. It's the dragon, snake but thing. you know the dragon, <laughs> the dragon the has hell? hundred penises that pee out water at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're peeing up there. That's like my favorite part. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so they're on the dragon thing and. Like Jay said, he thinks it's a cool challenge. Yeah, this is one where they make use of the Chinese culture. They use the dragon, which is much more well, Chinese than loosely a snake based on Chinese culture. Like you know, yeah, there's a dragon, but again, it's sort well, of like very stereotypical sort of Chinese culture. Well, Chinese oh, water torture, right? I'm assuming that's what they were. Oh boy. To. <laughs> well, what I like about it is I love the I love the fact that it's sort of this natural built-in. Well, I mean, the structure is not natural. I get that, but it, you got this sort of built-in thing that I that I enjoy in this challenge where. They're on the barrel, and then the barrel has is filled with water. So obviously, when the barrel's full, it's more stable, right? And then if it has less water in it, then this swinging barrel is a lot more precarious for you to balance on, right? And the fact that the, it's just constantly draining water means that as time goes goes on, the challenge is harder, which I, I enjoy. And and I know that other challenges that they do do that, where like they have to stand on something, and maybe it gets progressively smaller. But I don't know. Just just the visuals of this, I thought would, were pretty good. Yeah, the barrel is basically Bruce. The more full it is, the less likely it is to move. Yeah, and it's been there for thirty years. <laughs> yes, it's been, it's ancient Chinese dragon been there for thirty years. Which, unfortunately, though, because the problem is, is that you know the, we've gotten talks about maybe we've gotten the initial seeds about perhaps blindsiding James. We've also talked about how we don't like John Robert. Like 
the people that have sort of come up as as potential boot targets have all been bigger people, and this is unfortunately where this is this is a challenge where the lighter you are, the better for the most part. Yeah. Yes. There's a great John Robert moment right at the start of the challenge where people, people might not remember this, where they just start, they just pull out the little uh, water plug so the barrel starts draining, and John Robert goes, I don't think my barrel is balanced properly, Jeff. And without missing a beat, Jeff says, good to still have you around, John Robert. We always need a complainer. And then Courtney says, I thought I was the complainer. <laughs> yes. I, do, I do like that. You see, like, John Robert, like, give kind of like the tongue out, like, yep, I'm just, you know. I'm the bad boy. <laughs> bad the boy bad. of barrels <laughs> i'm the barrel bad boy triple b <laughs> and then he tries to taunt everyone later with being like oh these mosquito bites are so itchy and everyone's like just shut up well it's funny because he starts taunting it's like richard in borneo again to more comparisons where richard starts singing on the balance of me and then he immediately falls off where jean robert starts taunting everyone and then face plant right into the mud and it's a great shot I do also like, did you guys notice James's noises while he was trying to hang yeah. on during this oh, yeah. challenge? Whoop. 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 He sounds like Popeye. Well, well, it's like rapping Ronnie Reagan. Uh, he's, it's just so, I, I loved it so much. I mean, there's, there's a lot of funny moments in this challenge between those, between those two and Frosty. When it comes down to Courtney and Frosty and Frosty sings this, he doesn't, he pulls a T-bird by singing a song about starving artists bouncing on a barrel for Jeff Probst. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's go down the order here. Jean Robert is out first, then Denise, then James after his eh, 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 all his noises, then Eric, <laughs> and then PG, and then Amanda by cheating. You cheating Montana. She grabs the wrong part of the structure. The, the she Jenna, got beat by a Jen, bunch of rules. The Jenna Lewis memorial. Uh, yeah, I know. What the <laughs> hell, Paul? What's up? That requires a response. <laughs> Paul? Paul? He's looking up PG quotes. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> <laughs> G-A-L-L, get a life, loser. Thanks. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, so we get to the final two. It's uh, Courtney against Frosty, and this is where, yeah, Frosty starts singing his little song, and, and then Jeff says, Courtney hasn't moved in 32 minutes. And Courtney pipes back with, well, I am lazy, which is a, it's a great Courtney quote. And then Frosty falls, he's the final one out, and Courtney basically, because she weighs, again, like Todd, she weighs 30 pounds, she doesn't move at one point in this entire challenge. Like, she, the she, like, she, she, she like yeah. budges once. And yeah. you're like, oh, God. We found the one challenge, and Courtney laughs. She's like, she's, well, if there's one challenge I was going to be good at, it was not falling into the swamp. She goes, I hate getting wet, so I was going to win that one. And then, of course, Courtney, troll, in, in her effort to troll every trope on Survivor, when, when she gets handed the immunity necklace, she applies, like, oh, I almost feel like I'm in a pageant. And she, like, you know, faux fans herself. <laughs> yes. All right, so we go back to camp. Uh, Courtney has immunity tonight, and... Uh, Jean Robert, this is the scene that I think Jay was talking about earlier, that Jean Robert tells Eric, you know, I have the idol. Because <laughs> yes. I'm just laughing, I'm writing in my notes, didn't Jamie just do this last episode? <laughs> what the hell, Jean Robert? And I'll tell you who has it if you keep yeah. me around. <laughs> yeah, keep me around. Well, like, he's telling Eric, and he's like, I know some things about idols, and Eric's like, oh, you do, do you? Yeah, Eric kind of ruins the joke, unfortunately, because Eric could have let it play out, and Eric's like, now nah, James has the idol, so... So much for that. I just love Eric's delivery of it too, where he just tells him, well, what if I told you I'm pretty sure you don't have the idol? So, of course, it's the nicest then, way possible, yeah. A shot of John Robert, he's like just literally hanging his head in shame. Like, literally, he's just <laughs> so ashamed of himself. He just sits there hanging. I like, he just doubles down and keeps going with it, and John Robert's like, all right, so you know that James has the idol. And then John Robert's like, all right, we'll keep this on the DL, me and you, and we'll pull a fast one on James. <laughs> 
so John Robert just just he's even further back on the small bike than Jamie is at this point. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It's interesting to know here, though, that as much as they bicker back and forth, James and John Robert were a pretty strong alliance for the first portion of this game. I mean, let's remember that John Robert confided into James that the only thing better than a million dollars is a million dollars and some ass. And J- John Robert is very quick to turn on what I would call probably his main ally at this point. His only yeah. ally, really, yeah. Yeah, like he knows he's loosely associated with the Phalongs, like with Todd and them, because they they're voting somewhat together, but. I don't think he would classify that as something that's super solid, right? So James is someone that was super solid, but it, it's interesting that, you know, Jean Robert, it's funny because Jean Robert has that whole, like, I know something you don't know to Eric, and Eric's like, oh, yeah, and Jean Robert's like, yeah, I know clues about the idol. I know the hit about, I think I have one, and Eric's like, yeah, you don't. James has both items, idols, and it's like, you know, not just the shame, but Jean Robert's just like, how? <laughs> yeah. I, how I, do you but, non-poker players know these things? I'm a student of the people. <laughs> There's another great, I, I just reeling off these James quotes left and right where Joan Robert's like, all right, James, you've been holding out on me. You have some idols. You have both idols. And James is like, somebody gave you some misinformation, cuz. <laughs> and also, rather poignant here, James says, calling, James says, joining up with John Robert would be the worst move in Survivor history. James, you need to wait about six days and we'll <laughs> see if that statement comes to fruition. Yeah. Right. It- you know, that's that's ironic in and of itself. But, I mean, that also shows you, like like you said, James and John Robert seemed like they were somewhat tight, but only on one side. Because J- John Robert was like, James is my ally. But in the other sides, you have James in this confessional, like, you can't trust that guy. There's no way you would, you know, deeply align with John Robert. So, like, even James is basically like, yeah, John Robert, whatever, not all that sort of stuff. Which, again, it sort of posits the question, was it a good idea for James to lie to John Robert? And I think the answer is... Well, at this point, yeah, because Jean Robert was like super expendable and they went and got rid of him anyway. But it's like it's an interesting situation that James is in because he and Jean Robert did seem to confide and have sort of bro time where they would talk over some things. And then Jean Robert sort of confronts him and says, dude, I hear you have two idols. And James basically at that point was like, you know what? I'm not going to share with you. And he mm-hmm. sort of says, no, I don't have them. And I mean, it's a it's a bald faced lie. And I think Jean Robert knows it. But and, and that's the end of their sort of uh their bro time basically is that John Robert is like, okay, he's lying to me because I, I'm pretty sure he has them. Yeah. And here's more Jean Robert outsmarting the game, being one step ahead of everyone. Now he goes to Todd. says, hey, Todd, James has two idols. But Todd, so, and Todd for the most part, is a little caught off guard here. Because James has two idols. Todd goes, yeah. And then JR goes like, wait, how did you know? He goes, oh, no, I heard rumors. about it. The rumors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so now Todd goes to James. Oh, Jean Robert's after you. So yeah, it's Jean Robert's going to have a big fiery downfall coming up here. All right, so yeah, so we have Todd wants Jean Robert out now. Amanda wants PG out. Amanda's annoyed that Todd's changing his plan so often. We get this whole the same exact uh, debate after from last episode, and we go to tribal council, and yep, pretty much blindside. Goodbye, Jean Robert. They finally so, get I mean- rid of. Yeah, there's a couple of things to talk about this. I mean, we talked before about the Denise Sprint Player of the Season edit here, uh, but I think this definitely shows our situation in that when they're talking about who should we target, and it's Amanda, Todd, and James in this conglomerate, they say, let's not tell Denise because she's wavering. So Denise is going to vote for PG because she wasn't told differently, which is definitely going to make her feel even more on the outs. Yeah. It's just a bad move. I mean... In the moment, it's a good move, but in the long run, you really are risking alienating Denise here. <laughs> All right, so am I the only one who likes Jean Robert even a little bit? Yeah. All right. Jean Robert is pretty horrible. 
I mean, he was I li- fine. Like he was a fine one-time person. Yeah. Takes it early fall at the merge. Don't have to suffer with him to the end of the season. Like I have no problems with the casting of Jean Robert and how how he played out on the show. But I think like Jay alluded to, like like I think we hit like saturation level there. Like no more Jean Robert needed. What I like about him is that you know a lot of times they have to fabricate villains. Like you have to kind of make stuff up, make people look worse than they really are. Amy and Vanuatu was a good example. They kind of fudge the fact and make her up into a villain just for the storyline purposes. I appreciate John Robert just because he is a villain and he knows it and he's not trying to hide it. He just, I'm going to be the villain this season. And I've always argued that a Survivor season needs a good villain. And so when you have one who's that strong a villain and that obvious a villain, I think naturally it's going to be a good season. And again, it's not necessarily him. Anybody could fill that role. He just happens to be really good at that. So again, I appreciate what he brought to the season, I don't think China would have been nearly as fun without John Robert. I think he's like Jamie. He brought a lot of storylines to not that many episodes. But, again, I will argue, I, I will agree with you in the sense we don't really need to see him again because I don't know what else he would do. Well, I think I don't think any of us disagree with the fact that we, we love seeing him on the season. I think what I personally have a qualm with is just I just find him really annoying personally. He's definitely one of these survivors where it's like, oh, you're fun to watch on TV, but I can't imagine spending 27 days with you. Yeah, I'm glad someone else had to spend 27 days with him. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I just like the fact that, you know, you get a lot of people on the show that just think they're hot shit. Like, he is he is legitimately a minor celebrity. He's, I mean, he makes a lot of money. He probably has a one of those penthouse suites in Vegas. He was a, a big shot. So he comes in with a whole different attitude where I'm a big star. Watch this. This is my season. So, I, again, I just appreciate people like that because they're going to have a downfall, and I think it's fantastic when they do. I don't think... There's nearly enough John Robert's on Survivor is my argument. And we can also make the comparison also in this vote of the Jean who's to almost, again, to another Panama comparison, almost, they're almost like the Terry Deeds in this situation in that they thought, okay, John Robert comes to them with, with his plan to blindside James because, again, he was still pissed off about the two idols secret. And they're like, oh, great, this is our opportunity to turn things around in the game. And then they end up on the losing side of the vote. The, the three of them vote for James, and Denise votes for PG, but everyone else votes for John Robert. So the Jean Hus are, even though they're still in the game, they're still completely blindsided. Yeah. The thing I wanted to bring up about John Robert is, you know, for in, as intensely disliked as he was, it's clear that nobody really liked him, not even Todd. He thought he and Todd were buddies, but they weren't. Like, why did nobody even try to get him to the end? You think it would just be the biggest slam dunk ever? I mean... Obviously, I know James. James didn't trust Jean Robert. I'm not taking him to the end because he's going to get rid of me. But you think somebody would have wanted to take Jean Robert to the end? I think the answer is literally numbers, Mario, more than anything else. In in the sense that Todd, I think the the two people that were steering the game are Todd and Amanda, right? And it it seemed like Todd and Amanda. You know, you did see, hear Amanda basically say that she was sort of getting suspicious or wary of Todd, but correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think in this season, at least overtly, we see Todd or Amanda like go after each other in a major way. You know, they, yeah. they, they sort of stick together for the most part. And so if you've got a final three and you've got sort of two people sort of locked into it, you have to bring a third, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that you, know, you can make the argument, well, why don't they try to drag Jean Robert to the end? But they've got to do it over the bodies then of James and Denise and Courtney, which I think is going to be tough, especially because John Robert and Courtney are sort of ticking time bombs. And mm-hmm. I think that they thought, at, at some point, I think they thought that maybe Courtney was pretty beatable. And so I think that they had people that were not, maybe not as goatish as John Robert would be, but I think they had people that they thought they could beat 
that were not as much of an annoyance or anything like that. I totally agree with you. I think you're right. And I think, honestly, no, look no further than the very first interaction Todd and John Robert have in this first episode. I mean, if I'm Todd, yes, I can understand that this guy is annoying and he'd be a great goat. But also look at the fact that, like, this guy is clearly, like Jay alluded to, he is a bomb in that he's ready to sort of strategically explode and jump over and do whatever he wants. He just sold one of his most loyal allies in James down the river just because he was pissed that he found out he was hiding two idols from him. It, I can understand to a certain extent that you want to keep someone around who's easy to beat, but at this point, Courtney, if we're comparing Courtney and John Robert, Courtney is much less likely, even though she's you know giving frosty massages, she's much less likely to jump over and start something than John Robert does at this point. Think think of John Robert almost in in a sense like a like another slightly weird version of Lil, or mm-hmm. for more modern seasons like a version of Abby Maria. It's like okay, you, you can drag them along and and. And, and hope that you know you, you could go to the end with them, but by the same token, they're they're unstable. They they are not something that you can necessarily control. And even yeah. though that you know Todd had John Robert somewhat under control, it's because John Robert sort of alienated everyone around him. But as the game dwindles down, if PG or some people like that need John Robert, like they went with him to try to vote out James, right? Like when the numbers necessitate it, it doesn't really matter how annoying he is. People are going to work with you. And that's something you have to contend with at some point. Yeah. I think it all falls back to Survivor's a static or not a static game where people think that there's just numbers where you can move people around on a chessboard, but the other people are doing stuff too, and you might not necessarily like what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Okay, should we do one more episode or should we stop there? What do you guys think? Let's, let's get rid of Frosty. All right, let's get rid of Frosty. Yeah, we can't start off on a Frosty uh, next episode. <laughs> no, it's usually a dessert. Yeah, Yeah, we got to end with a frosty freeze here. All right, so episode nine, this is the frosty episode. This is where James decides to wake up the tribe in the morning by singing his good morning song, which is a fun little James moment you wouldn't really expect from him. My favorite part of this is not even James singing off key, but the one lone sad string instrument playing in the background while he's singing. (laughs) It's it's perfectly caps the scene. (laughs) The sad string instrument. All right, so everyone's thrilled. John Robert's not here anymore. We don't have to deal with his crap. He doesn't snore, except Denise. As we pointed out, Denise was pissed. Nobody told her they were voting for Jean Robert. So she was blindsided, too, and she's just sitting around shooting daggers at everyone. She's like, do I even have a point to be here anymore? You guys just make these decisions. You don't ask me. So she says she felt like an idiot last night. And uh, luckily, with Jean Robert gone, we have PG who's going to take his place. And now she's the big complainer. She starts bitching about everything around camp, which is wonderful. Todd says, hey, we got rid of Jean Robert. Now we have PG to replace her, to replace him. Yeah, the Denise storyline's interesting because, as you said, Mario, she's getting the, uh, sort of a sympathy uh, storyline in, in one sense. But on the, on the other sense, you're right. Like, they, they make a lot of mistakes with Denise. Uh, and I feel like this is sort of sloppy play by Todd in Amanda in the sense that they do, you know, and it's James, I think they, they basically were like, should we tell Denise last episode? I think it was ultimately James was like, no, don't tell her, but they went along with it and they didn't tell Denise. And it's like it, the way Todd and Amanda sort of get to the end, it's, it's fine in, in a sense that they didn't necessarily, but like it, it didn't, there wasn't any like huge comeuppance for this. It's not like Denise leads some sort of like uprising against him. And it's just one of those where like they actually make a mistake with Denise. They actually play Denise very, very poorly, uh, all these sorts of things, but it doesn't necessarily bite them in the butt so much. Yeah, it could have, it didn't, but it doesn't mean it could have. 
And the other thing that's notable about this episode that I write is that Courtney and Frosty are essentially just a couple now at this point. They're all over each other. <laughs> yeah, that's something that I didn't remember. I don't think a lot of people would remember that if they haven't watched this season in a while. That Frosty is actually fairly significant because you have the Courtney variable. You can't really vote him out without pissing off Courtney at this point because they are really close. We also haven't mentioned that Frosty himself outlines that he was a pretty pivotal, sw- pivotal swing vote in the past two episodes in that yeah. – you know, he was the Jean who that flipped over to Faye Long. So with the whole Jamie thing, they they thought they had him in. But, you know, she said she had the idols, but he knew that he, she obviously didn't have the idol. Next episode, he's a little bit of a swing vote as well. And he'll def, he'll get eliminated this episode. It's, it seems a little more straightforward than what happens the past two episodes. But, yeah, Frosty's a little bit more of a bigger presence than we've alluded to the past couple of hours. Yeah, I was surprised he's so prominent in these episodes. Like, he doesn't actually affect the vote that much, but he's in a lot of scenes. We should also mention here that PG has gone into day one mode completely here. And that I think actually Todd outlines like, oh, I thought when we got rid of Jean Robert, we'd be done with the annoying factor. But PG has sort of supplanted that place and that she's sort of <laughs> micromanaging James specifically in this case. Yeah, the PG and James thing is going to come to a head real soon. Yeah, well, this All is right. just such a dense opening to the episode because even before we get to the reward challenge, we have this, you know, the fun scene with James that we talked about. We have... The um, you know Courtney talked about how it's like Christmas morning or whatever because John Robert is gone. We talk about you know Denise upset with how the vote's happening and her shooting death glares. We have the segment about what um, Mike just said about PG being a or Todd being annoyed with PG and then talking about like five pretty big things we get you know before we even get to the reward challenge. We also have Amanda staring at a pretty butterfly that's flying by. Oh, sorry, six. Amanda, six calls, Amanda calls a drum wicked, so that's her contribution <laughs> to this episode so far. All right. Yeah, speaking of drums, we're going to go to the reward challenge here. This is one where they have to bounce the balls on a drum through the obstacle course. You know, like the Chinese do. <laughs> yes, like the, now we're doing it like the Chinese do. <laughs> yeah, so the winner, they bounce these balls on drums through an obstacle course, and the winner gets a cruise on the Lee River, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and this is so. There, this challenge is is a little broken though, right? Because they're divided up into teams of four. It's interesting yeah. they're they're each given um they're each given four different types of drums, and they range from like the big bass drum to little tiny bongo drums, and they basically have to bounce it through. They give like video game esque checkpoints, so in case you drop the ball, you get to go back to there. The problem is though, and we'll see what happens with this challenge. It basically becomes a version of two people bounce the ball while the other two just kind of watch and wait as like a safety net. <laughs> So this challenge yeah. pretty much becomes Eric and Frosty versus Todd and PG. Yeah, they just play keep away. That's why they do better, because they don't let Courtney or whoever else is on their team touch the ball. It's just Frosty and Eric hogging the ball. Well, you see, like, some decent strategy come come along there as well. Like, yeah, okay, they're not really letting Courtney or Amanda kind of do the bounce part of it. But, you know, they, if they get off track, you know, Courtney made a save once. where like, you know, it sort of got off track from Eric and then... Courtney sort of hit it up in the air and then Eric was able to then make a recovery there. And then you saw them like sort of covering when they get to the barrel at the end, like Amanda takes, she had the huge sort of drum and she sort of puts it on the one side is almost like a backboard, like in case it goes a little like Mm -hmm. long, like they actually sort of thought some of that out, like with their extra pieces, but you're right, Mike, it literally is. Then the trick of this challenge is, is that you kind of get the two medium ish drums and you just sort of bounce them back and forth or really just with the one medium sort of snare drum looking one, uh, you know, you just bounce it with that, and then you you go to the other person when you have to navigate obstacles. And that's yeah, a, and it's that's basically a, whoever has the tiny drum, don't let them touch the ball. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's the problem, though, because PG has the tiny ball. And what happens with this team is that Todd and James are going to start by doing it, but James is floundering. I mean, it's like that Friends episode with the ball, and James is the Chandler and that he's a huge dropper. And so PG decides to take over, but in PG having the smallest drum, she's going to have a much harder time keeping that in the air than a big wide drum like the one that Todd has. And that's why the Yellow Tribe ends up winning, because Courtney has the smallest drum, and they don't let Courtney touch the ball. And it just works out that way, because that's the only drum that she could lift. So it worked out great. All right, so the Yellow Tribe wins. This is uh, Eric, Frosty, Courtney, and Amanda. They win the cruise. They win easy. It's not even close. And uh, there's a lot of infighting on the red team during this bouncing challenge between, specifically, James and PG. And uh, so, yeah, the Yellow Tribe wins. They go on their cruise. We go back to camp with the Red Tribe, and this is where the James and PG fight really starts. And this has really been building. This isn't new. This is probably this probably started back when they threw the challenge to get rid of Aaron. That's I'm guessing when they started hating each other, or he started hating her. So they get back to camp, and uh, basically PG lays into him. She starts woman-splaining, which is where a woman points out all the faults in a man. And she just goes off on James and, and just says he's horrible. He gave up. You're a horrible person. You can't do this. And He's like, go away. And he's like, you got some nerve for a loser. Shut up. And they're just bickering back and forth. And, and then he has a James quote here where he says, uh, every time you open your mouth, I'll blast you back. I will make you look quite silly. I was going to say, like, not, you know, I mean, like, by the time we get James, like, third time around in Survivor, we really point to, like, this kind of really ugly, ugly side that we see in James. And it kind of comes out here, for me, pretty strong. Um, as annoying as PG might be and as as back and forth as they're going, like, just to tell like, someone to, like, shut up, shut up, not letting her talk, cut her off, cut her off. It's, you know, that, that asshole side of James really comes through in this in this scene. Well, but if someone's specific- sniping at you, wouldn't you do that? Like, shut up. I don't want to hear this. Shut up. Well, let's specifically also compare it to what Paul just said about this situation with Stephanie in Heroes versus Villains versus this, where James, in fact, tells PG, like, hey, you've lo- you're the losingest person that's left. Maybe there's a reason why. And he basically has that argument for Stephanie. Granted, it's more mythical in that he says, oh, maybe Stephanie's a jinx because her tribe lost all those challenges in Palau. But it seems like that's something that he really holds to heart. Yeah. I don't know. I mean... Yeah, he's not the nicest guy in the world here, but she's the one laying into him. Like you have a you have a you have the obligation or not the obligation, you have the chance to respond if someone just is laying into you. Like, shut up. Yeah, I mean PG probably shouldn't lay into him. I get that. You know, as, as no one in the survivor should really lay to anyone else. But I think the James at this point is, you know, I'm I, I think the James is believing his hype at this point. Yeah. No, I agree. He's getting a little power power hungry, but just uh power mad at this point he, he's untouchable yeah he, he sort of feels he's untouchable he's got two idols and i think that you know people people keep picking him first like he he's been a physical threat and he was a great physical threat in some of the early challenges but this one was not a lot of physical sort of stuff it was it was balancing you know yeah. sort of on a ball and james has not proven to be very good at balancing it's just not something that he has mm-hmm. done very well right and and the problem is is that pg is laying into him basically saying you you know because they were not james was was terrible in that challenge. I mean, yeah. f- flat out terrible. You sucked that day. You know, <laughs> you sucked and, on that game. And the problem was, was that for his, it, he was terrible. And then he was the one that was like visibly getting mad and upset and like getting down on his team and stuff like that. And the problem is, is I think PG was basically like he needed to, James needed to take a back seat in that challenge and just shut up and just go with it. And, you know, he did, he did, you know, for the most part, let PG and, uh, um, 
what who who was uh bouncing the ball on that side? Todd, it was, it was Todd, like maybe? Todd, right? It was like Todd and PG were trying to trying to do the thing, right? And but like James just kept like barking in there and like you know chirping, and then when they wouldn't get it, he would like make a big like, oh man, now we go go, you know, back to the start and stuff like that. I mean, PG was probably frustrated, basically saying you needed to shut up and just you know let us try to win that thing and you know all that sort of stuff. But you know that's not in James's nature. I think James is basically like, no, I'm James and I'm gonna you know be a presence. And so, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, should, should PG have sniped it? I don't think anyone should snipe at anyone after a challenge. But I think that if anyone's going to, I think she, you know, she had a case there. You know, I think that PG had more of a case to snipe into James than James had to just bark and say, shut up, you're a loser. Plus, you have to understand her emotional situation right now. I mean, not only, again, she got a momentary respite in that she wasn't voted off last episode. But, I mean, she talks about it, how she, at this point, has won basically nothing at this point. They've won a few challenges as Jean Hu, and that's pretty much it. She hasn't been able to go on any rewards as well. She had the merch feast, and that was pretty much it. So her morale is at an all-time low as well. And this scene is also the first of, as Mario alluded to, many references to the Garden of Eden and the Apple of Knowledge. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Jet. This is uh, James. We have a confessional here where James is hes in a good spot right now. The Fei Longs are going to win. He knows it. He has his two idols, and he's like, we just have to stay together. We can't do anything crazy. Don't eat the apple. Be naked. Be happy. Don't eat the damn apple. And James and if is I recall, fine being naked from you know what we saw at the Charmin Tea House. But he's not happy. That's the thing. He's in a bad mood today. So yeah, James will mention this apple analogy several times. And then uh, doesn't he do it in the other seasons too? Does he mention it in Micronesia too, if I recall, or in Heroes vs. Villains? I swear there's more Apple references later. I think there, there probably is in Micronesia, though I don't think they... The problem is that this Apple... The Apple's become the title of the next two episodes, whereas uh-huh. I think Micronesia, they completely ignore it in terms of titling their episodes after it. Right, and, yeah. and, if, you, and if you have one Apple, then you need to share the Apple with anyone else. It's kind of an etiquette thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's good. But yeah, now it's just one more thing that, you know, James, you know, pulling out biblical allusions and stuff which i just i love the way he throws language together he just i find him fascinating just from a writing perspective i love to write james dialogue so we go on the reward yes we go on the reward and uh and uh what's he saying that uh well so so basically amanda and courtney are kind of trashing pg and eric's like well she's she can be cool no she's she's cool guys don't worry (laughs) yes Although this is where Frosty and Courtney are all over each other, right? They're like cuddling with each other and she's stroking his hair and she's like, I love my Frosty. I love my Frosty. Yeah, though I think there's like, there's probably what, like a six year difference between them at this point? Something, yeah. She even says he's my little munchkin. She's like, I'm not even sure where it's going, but they like to cuddle with each other. <clears throat> all right. And the other, the other thing on this cruise that's notable is the what's that's got the little scene at the end where they see goats and Eric does his goat call. And I forget who it is. Uh, one of the is it Amanda? She's like, that's like the best impression I've ever heard of anything. And Eric's just doing his little goat thing. It's the best impression I've ever heard. Congratulations! You should <laughs> go you. on to Star Search because that's a thing. We just got it in Montana. <laughs> Heyo! Did they get did they get fried chicken on this reward or was that last episode? No, no it's, next it's, episode. It's this one, but they're gonna lie about it. Yeah. Oh yeah, this is the one. Yeah, this is right. They get. They're on the cruise ship, and they get the traditional Chinese meal of fried chicken and mashed potatoes. Oh, and sorry. Guess who was getting excited? Stephanie, Stephanie having some gonna, fun with some taters. If, if you listen faintly in the background, you can hear Stephanie favor just orgasming in delight over eating, having some fun and eating mashed potatoes. 
All right, I'll give Tim at least something to do here. You guys are doing the Stephanie reference. I want to bring back T-Bird. We haven't talked about T-Bird last night. So this is T-Bird talking about her favorite reward, mash, fried chicken and mashed potatoes. Fried chicken and potatoes. It's just interesting that they went so nuts. And, and it's something because, you know, we've all talked about how not only have these rewards been on point, but the food has all looked very good, you know, because yeah. it's 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 just sort of this traditional well-cooked Chinese food, right? But, you know, the, look, I, not that I've been on – not that I've, I haven't been to China and, uh, you know, I haven't gone on Survivor. But you know, I went to – I went on a, a trip to Europe uh, a few years back and I was there for – like over a month, basically. And I know Paul's laughing because Paul's been in Germany for like, you know, decades at a time. Decades, but like, yeah, <laughs> decades, whole decades. But, you know, at the end of the month, I ate well. I'm not going to say I didn't eat well. I ate very well on that trip. Uh, but you still sort of miss some stuff from home. Like, it's just, it, there, there's, you know, it, it, I think it's just natural, right? So, you know, was the fried chicken and mashed potatoes the best thing or the coolest thing they ate on that trip? No, but it's it, it's probably what they needed at that point, you know? Yeah, and to be, to be fair, it was 1,000-year-old mashed potatoes and fried chicken. <laughs> the hey, uh, hey John Robert, you think, uh, you think they fried a chicken or two in their time here? <laughs> I do believe. <laughs> and and what, I, what I enjoyed about that was, was, like you said, when they got back from the ward, they asked, you know, what they ate and they want details and stuff like that. And they were like, ah, it's just Chinese food again. And you know they didn't want, yeah, yeah. <laughs> leftover. <laughs> <laughs> the little white box they brought with them, a little leftover box. Um, and the interesting thing to note from this scene as well is that Eric, where, where again we talk about him being adorable and such a nice guy. Amanda actually vocalizes it here, and Frosty actually takes notice and realizes like, oh. Eric's becoming close to people like Courtney and Amanda. Maybe my spot on the tribe could be jeopardized at this point. It's a good point. Yep. Yeah, Frosty's got a lot going on. I like I liked Frosty when I watched him this time around. Yeah, Frosty's got a lot of stuff in him, like peanut butter cups, Oreos. <laughs> He's a blizzard. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. So uh, the other, the only other thing that happens in this episode before the immunity challenge is. Everyone's back at camp, and Todd regales everyone with his impression of PG and James fighting. And she's like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and James is like, bitch. <laughs> so it's just a fun little Todd moment. I had a lot of fun with that on the Funny 115, too. And who knew that Key and Peel were such big Survivor China fans because they based an entire sketch off of that? <laughs> yes. All right, so we go to the immunity challenge, and this is um, the memory challenge where they have to remember Chinese zodiac symbols. And this is one of the famous ones where some players can participate in the challenge, some players can eat, you decide. And uh, if I recall, four of them decide to eat food. Todd, Courtney, James, and Denise all eat food. Well, PG, of course, competes. Frosty competes. Eric competes. They all think they need immunity. But for some reason, Amanda competes, too. So Amanda and then the three Jean Hu's all compete in this challenge. And, and yeah, their prizes, or I guess their temptation, is a giant plate of cheeseburgers, which look more like McDonald's cheeseburgers than the ones we got in Exile Island. Uh, yeah. But a giant plate of shoestring fries, cold drinks, and of course, all the fixins. And usually, we'll talk about the end of the challenge, but usually we see like a good portion of the burgers gone. When they cut to the plate at the end of this, at the end of this challenge, there's gonna, only going to be one burger left. And James is going to say he ate seven burgers in the course of what? This like probably 30-minute challenge? Yes. Yeah, James said he had seven burgers. <laughs> so anyway, the notable thing about this challenge is it's kind of badass. It's not just memory. It's like, not only it's memory, but you have to stab the tiles with a knife in order so they stay stuck to the knife at the end, which is pretty cool. I like just a little variant cool, of this you can't normal. Switch up, you can't switch up your, um, you know, your answer once it's in. What do you think is cool? 
Absolutely. Right? It's very Pirate Master. <laughs> it is. So, uh, yeah, so and the other notable thing about this challenge is PD, PG is absolutely pissed during this entire challenge. She won't look at anybody. She's just furious that people are getting all this food that she has to compete. So she's, she's just been in a bad mood today. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, they do the immunity challenge. Eric is the first one out, and Amanda's out next. And there's a cute moment at the end where it's Frosty versus PG, and, and Frosty thinks he misses the, the one. They think the challenge is over, but Frosty actually gets it right, so the challenge is going to go on. And it's funny because all the people eating go like, yay, and they get to keep eating. It's just a cute little moment. But then, then in the last round, PG has a very similar meltdown. And then once again, she's correct as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She thinks she's done, and then she gets it right. So PG finally wins in the end. She wins immunity. It's like the whole point of this episode, the whole storyline, if you've been following this episode, is that PG never wins anything. She's the losingest survivor out here. She finally wins immunity in the losingest episode ever. So good for her. And Courtney's covered in mayonnaise. <laughs> yes. All right. So we get uh, PG has immunity. We're trying to wrap this up kind of quick here. Uh, Eric is probably toast now since Frosty is in with Courtney. It's either going to be Frosty or Eric. Frosty's tight with Courtney. But uh, Todd finally asked Courtney, you know, if we want to vote Frosty out, will you go for it? And Courtney, I guess, agrees to it because at the end of the day, Frosty is voted out here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the most important thing, I guess you can talk about the next like 15 minutes of this episode is that Frosty's just like PG is really pissed at the cheeseburger thing. I mean, he's going to when he after his torch gets snuffed, he's going to bring it up. It's going to get brought up at tribal council as well. I think the guy is just livid that people would sit out and eat cheeseburgers and not compete in the challenge. Note in the future for everybody, if you go on Survivor and you're in this situation where it's a, you can choose to be in the, in the challenge or you can choose to eat and you are, you feel safe in the majority Alliance enough so that you feel like you want to eat. That's fine. I'm not saying that you shouldn't or, or anything like that. I'm not making that sort of judgment, but be prepared at tribal council to get laid into by Jeff Probst. Without fail, he is going to yell at you for eating cheeseburgers. At least Jeff isn't calling this a million-dollar decision like he does in Survivor Cambodia. So does anybody have any final th- uh, thoughts on uh, McFlurry? Uh, Frosty, I mean. Mm, no <laughs> that's what i thought i have to say when i watched him go out this time it was sadder than i remember i actually found him to be a nice guy he seemed like a cool guy like he's in the episodes more than you remember even though he's not particularly significant but like i i, I hate to say this but i i had more emotion with him in the season going out than i would have had amanda gone out or something like that so wow. at least i can say that yeah. wow. shut your mouth oh, wow. you, you think i'm taking the digs there, but i totally believe that like amanda adds nothing to anything jeff probes has thrown that comment into the fire that is a hot take <laughs> paul is livid <laughs> sorry i muted my mic as i cussed you out yeah, paul's I mean, on Frost- planning his unibombing right now it's also notable for Frosty that, again, he was the only person, he was the youngest person on Survivor at the time. Granted, that record's going to be broken in about three seasons by Spencer, Spencer Doom on Token Chains, but I don't know, maybe he's in a way kind of paved a way for super young people to appear on Survivor. And he, I think he appeared, he, I mean, it might have been either him or Ozzy appeared on American Ninja Warrior, and I actually was watching a commercial Frosty the other did. day that had him oh, on Frosty, it. Oh, so. Frosty, yeah, absolutely. Frosty's appeared on American Ninja Warrior a bunch of times because he's he's done the parkour stuff. That's uh, that's absolutely something that you that you see Frosty too. And that, that's always the fun thing is they're like, "Hey, Michael, Frosty's Zerna," and you're like, "Oh yeah, Frosty." 
Survivor China. I remember. I, did, they ever, did, they ever, did, they ever, did they ever explain how he got the name Frosty? They never talk about that in the season. No. I'm just curious. I'm sure Paul, Paul should know that. Yeah, but there were, no, there were no early show interviews, so when they said get that know. information out of him. You don't know that, Paul? Did I just stump you? Um, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm still so pissed about all the Amanda stuff that I'm not really listening to what you say, Mario, <laughs> so I refuse to answer your stupid questions. That's fine. Oh, just wait until we get to part three, my friend. I will Bring make it look, on, Make you look bitch. quite silly. <laughs> yeah. Bitch! You better jog your memory, homie. <laughs> All right, so with that, we are through the Frosty episode, or as I like to call him, Amanda 2.0. And uh, yeah, we were going to go through the next episode, the James one, but we've gone about three hours now, and I, I don't want to rush that one since that's a very big episode. And to be honest, we don't have that much material for part three. So I think we're going to put the James episode into part three so we can lead off with that one since that is a, it's a particularly fun one as well. This whole season is fun episodes, basically. Does that include this episode, Mario? The recap episode? I love this one. This one was great with the drums and the fried chicken and mashed potatoes. Good enough to make you want to slap your mama. Well, the next episode is the recap episode, so I'm assuming you must think this is just as much fun as every episode. No, I don't watch recap episodes. I have Word on the street is that only one of the four of us will actually watch the recap episode, so we'll humor him and let him talk about it, but I didn't even bother watching it. <laughs> Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, there's, there's like four moments I can pull out of here. I mean, I think we talked about this with Cook Islands. They've actually done a pretty good job, as opposed to the earlier seasons, of actually teasing out new scenes and moments. Uh, the big highlights I'll take, I mean, again, we got to see a lot of Dave, which is good because we missed him for, you know, four episodes at this point. But we get to see, like, in the beginning, they have to, you know, slough up this huge set of stairs and everyone's carrying their luggage and Chicken is stuck with Denise in the back. And Denise is like kind of annoyed slash also kind of enamored by Chicken during this point. Uh, we get to find out a little bit about why Dave went crazy in particular, which is that he basically refused to eat food out there because he believed that, as PG explained it, he was like taking in energy from his environment around him and that his metabolism didn't need food necessarily, which again leads to him immediately crashing and burning during that one like swing the big pendulum and walk through the, the goal type of thing. Um, of course, we have the Todd and Courtney impression off where during, I think, episode five or six, they do impressions of basically everyone on the tribe. But the big highlight is Courtney's Jamie impression, which if you have not seen it, probably the best thing to appear in our recap episode since uh, Shapira's fake tribal council, where she like does her the one cocked eyebrow, the buck teeth, the let's go, let's go. I'm, I'm game. Let's do it. Uh, and basically the entire end credit scene is just a montage of Courtney one-liners, which is pretty amazing. And I'll, I'll read them off because they're that good. Uh, Courtney on Denise, the men's hockey team is missing a person. Uh, Courtney on Todd, that flight attendant voice is getting to me. Like, I feel like opening a little package of peanuts every time he says something. Uh, Courtney on PG. PG seems kind of smug, like, yum, I love me some pig knuckle, eh, which I have no idea what that might refer to. And then Courtney on John Robert, which is... Any guy who shows up to the jungle in a silk shirt and no underpants, you got to wonder about that guy. So if anything, watch the China recap episode to watch more Crazy Dave and more Courtney. Wow, you actually made me want to watch the China recap episode. It's really good. And honestly, my, I know we t I talked a, a lot of high praise about the Exile Island episode because of that one scene where 
Bob Dog trolls Danielle with putting the sticks in the fire, but this <laughs> one might be my favorite. Wow. Does it have a lot of Amanda in it? No. So I don't know, Paul. I so don't that's know why I'm not watching. But it doesn't have enough. But it doesn't, it doesn't have Frosty in there either. So they're equal opportunity offenders. You know, Paul, all this is just revenge for Gene because you got musing to me back on Amazon. That was like six years ago, and I've held a grudge over this. Yeah, I can take it. That's fine. Oh, we'll see in part three. Oh, I got my uh, just like Sue Hawk in that first uh, tribal council. She's got her got my guns ready. I'm ready to go. All right. Way to sell it. Way to sell the anger, Paul. Can't wait for you to spell I'm uh, Mario ready to with fire. <laughs> Damn, that pisses me off. All right. So, yeah, I think that's it. With uh, We're finished with part two of Historians. I'm glad we were able to take you back to time. Back in time. How about that? That's even better. I'll be back in time. How we went back to time. I know we were previously in a realm where time never existed, so I was happy <laughs> yes. to go back to that time. <laughs> it's fucking late. All right, well, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed these, this podcast. We had a fun time uh, doing it, as always. It's fun to talk about a season where we really do love it. And despite any minor, criti- minor criticisms, like I know we have all pointed out some things we don't like about China, I'm sure we all have nothing but the highest respect for this season. This is one that I love like as close to my heart as the original seasons. This is what I've absolutely loved watching. And now Jay, you said you found the middle seat, the episodes odd at the start of this podcast. Do you, does that detract from your love for the season? No, God, okay. no, this season is so good. Yeah. We're having such a fun time watching it. We hope you guys have fun listening to us. Uh, we do these podcasts for you guys. Um, that's about it. If you have any feedback, if you have any questions, if you think our, our racism was too spicy in this episode. Please feel free to uh, reach us on Twitter. You can reach us on Facebook. We have a G- uh, email account, survivorhistorians at gmail.com. If you want to bash Amanda, that's fine. Paul loves to read stuff like that. Of course. Um, that's, that's about it. Do you guys have anything more to add? No, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting ending to Survivor China. I mean, we're going to lose James. That's the big first episode that we're going to talk about. Eric and PG kind of go out one, two, and the finale has a little bit of drama, but we're going to, you know, we talked a little bit about Todd's edit getting tarnished here, but I feel like we're going to have a little bit of a turnaround story. And I feel like there's going to be, much to Mario's chagrin, a lot of Amanda talk coming up as well. You son of a bitch. God damn it. All right. So I think that's it. Um, as always, for the uh, Survivor Historians, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Paul Austin. And we will see you next time for part three. Until then, uh, have fun. Watch uh, China and appreciate especially Courtney, someone who was absolutely fantastic and I really love her. All right. Talk to you guys later and we'll see you then. I figured Jamie would have been looking for it, but there's no way this dummy grabbed the wrong one. Because it would have to say immunity something on it. The thought of this woman having a blank one. I would not be able to take it. I would pass out in pure joy. My head would I Please let that happen. Please. That would be the best thing ever. That would be the best whatever you pull out a big thing. It was like, what you mean? You don't have a writing on there. You just have to have something. Well, I want a D. She's taking on more water from James and Amanda. She's got to get away from him. Oh, shut, shut up.